Let me just get this out of my system. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to another Daily Grindhouse presents No Budget Nightmares. I am Mo. He's a bad film hating while I skating all the while masturbating. That's, That's Mo Pawn. Yeah. yeah. And with me, as always, is the one and only Doug Tilly. He's bow, Doug bow, Tilly, bow, 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 number bow, one super bow, guy. Bow, bow. Yeah, I should have warned you that I threw that little scream in there. That was intense, and it was kind of it cuts off in a weird way. Uh, it actually that scream uh, was was. Uh, more terrifying than any film that I've seen recently. <laughs> <laughs> you, know, you know, here's here's the irony: is that that like um, I had to, I, I had to do some searching for a scream for the the drunk on VHS hollow, you know, like the October opener, and um, and I found it under they call it the best horror, it, like it's listed in, under YouTube as best horror scream ever. But it's not right. it's not from a horror movie. It's from a prank. You know, like there's this but, chick hiding in a closet. Oh, yeah, there's a chick right. hiding in a closet and like her friend opens the closet door and she like jumps out on her and that's and that's the scream that that comes oh. from it. And it's perfect. It's the It is a great scream. It's the greatest scream. So I'm like I'm going to use this as often as I can this month. I think I've already used it like 15 times. Because this month as you already mentioned Mo is October. It is October. And this is uh, our special first October episode of No Budget Nightmares, which we should mention. This is what the podcast is. <laughs> I said that, that we're on right now. I know you did. I'm just repeating it. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm back from Newfoundland. I'm uh, I'm back in my regular apartment. So uh, we can tell so, your accents uh, shifted back. Yeah, it's shifting. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, I've got the salt water out of my veins, and we're back in business. Uh, and today, on a very special No Budget Nightmares. We're going to be talking about a pretty important movie for us, Mo. A pretty important movie for no-budget filmmaking. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I'm glad you agree with that, Mo. <laughs> uh, it's important on a number of different levels, but tonight, today's feature, which is Blood Cult from 1985, directed by Christopher Lewis, uh, is, uh, is generally considered, and I know that this is controversial, so we have to be very careful how we say this, it's generally considered the first straight to VHS movie. That's like that's uh, like when you're talking about somebody who's committed a crime, you have to say allegedly. <laughs> this film well, is allegedly. <laughs> what what in reality it's 
the most successful first movie to do sure. that. It wasn't strictly the first. Uh, in fact, uh, Intervision put out the DVD of that movie Sledgehammer mm. uh, last year, and that was that came out even before this, and that went straight to D- straight to VHS. Sorry, uh, <laughs> how dare <laughs> easy you? Easy mistake sir. to make. <laughs> uh, but uh, so, uh, strictly speaking, it's n- it's not the first. But it was massively successful when it was released in 1985, and uh, it's notable for a number of reasons. Uh, One is not only that it went straight to video, uh, for those who weren't around at that time period, to actually purchase a copy of a a movie on on VHS was massively expensive. Uh, Video stores used to have to spend upwards of $100 for a copy, and then they made their money back on renting it out. So actually getting a copy of a movie was hard to do. Mm -hmm. A lot of people didn't have a large collection of them. Uh, and it's notable because it was shot on video or or beta cam in this case. It's like the stuff uh, in the news, you know. It's like it's like what the uh, news cameras use. Th- that's exactly right, and, and in fact, it really does kind of have that look to it. And oddly, it it doesn't look too bad. No, it doesn't look uh, bad at all. It actually looks pretty good. It's a, it's. A, I mean, if I had if I had to pay this movie any compliment, and, and <laughs> trust me, I won't be paying very many, but. Um, <laughs> But the the biggest compliment I would pay this film is that it looks gorgeous. I mean, like it's really a great video uh, sort of texture and, and overall like tone. And, and considering that it was shot on video and came out in 1985, it looks a hell of a lot better than a lot of those early 90s shot on VHS films mm-hmm. that we we've looked at. And in fact, it looks ton, ton it looks pretty much. I mean, you when you start watching it, despite its quality, and uh, and we know your feelings on it, Mo. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it, it doesn't look. Uh, you forget that it's, it has that kind of, of video look mm. to it. It really does have a cinematic quality to it, which I, I guess in our case the, the credit should go to Christopher Lewis, who, uh, I mean, there's a, there are steady cam shots. There uh, is obviously a lot of care into the shot compositions. There's a lot of, like, like uh, colored lighting and, and filters. I, and, I, I mean, just wish that the same amount of care could have gone into the script. <laughs> so here's the thing about <laughs> Blood <Cult. laughs> Okay, we we do this too often. I was thinking about this earlier that we too often kind of give our hand uh, right at the beginning of the episodes in terms of whether we like the films, but we can't help it because as soon as we start talking about it, we're going to start talking about how shitty a lot of it yeah. is. Um, Blood Cult is not Blood Cult isn't an awful movie. No, it's no, no. Like awful, I, yeah, I mean, not, it, I, I, like if I had to give it a grade, I'd probably still give it like a B minus. <laughs> but yeah. it's not terrible. It's just a. Average, maybe a little below average slasher film, which is, I mean, and, and there's nothing wrong with that. It's not like the 80s weren't packed with them. And, and in that case, we really, we're not knocking the fact that it ended up being successful. I mean, it was a cash grab, just like all of those movies in the 80s were. In some ways, it's a lot better than many of them. Uh, and many we could mention by name, in fact. Mm. So, I mean, and, and the technical specs, as we already mentioned, is, are fine. Uh, there are some sound issues, but it's not like, it, it's, it's not, not even shoddily that made. You don't even notice it. Right, and the acting. We'll get into the acting, but it's not. It's not like uh, it's not amateur hour. No, They're, these are these are actors. Yeah. They're just some of them aren't very good. Exactly. So, Blood Cult. What do you think, Mo? <laughs> Sorry, it sounds like we were finishing up there. <laughs> so, uh, I, I my that's. I mean, you basically summed it up pretty well. My my biggest my biggest issues have to do with acting, 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 and script. You know, I mean, yeah. really. Uh, you know, all of the technical shit as far as the film is concerned, how it looks, how it sounds, you know, the cinematography, the, you know, all that shit. It, it looks good. I mean, I, I don't have any problem with it whatsoever. My biggest problem with it is just that there are really extended scenes that are incredibly boring. 
uh, it's a real shame too because it kind of gets started in a way that makes you think that hey this could be something you know not great but at least it, it will be bloody and it will be entertaining and fun yeah and fun right because the plot itself is all about uh, there's a serial killer who is chopping up sorority girls uh, on a college campus right simple enough say, we've, and ne- we've pretty... never covered films that were like that. <laughs> Uh, and he's doing it with a uh, uh, he or she wink. Uh, are doing it. <laughs> I'm sorry, but is <laughs> doing it with uh, with like a butcher knife, uh, a cleaver. That's their weapon of choice. <laughs> that's that's their weapon of choice. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> and uh, and you know what I kind of liked about it, and one of the things that really. Um, one of the first things I really noticed about the movie is that it's got sort of a giallo quality to mm. it because the killer wears these black gloves and they're wearing a trench coat targeting women. And though the murders themselves are not particularly stylish and they're using a cleaver, uh, you know, it's really very much a slasher type instrument because when they're uh, when they're cutting the, the, the women, you know, there's like blood splatter that's kind of just going over all the different fixtures and whatnot. Uh, so, you know, it, it's it's at first it seems like it could be something... Um, that sort of pulls from a lot of different uh, history of horror films, but then it all falls apart. I was going to say, I kind of wish, yeah, because the movie starts off amazingly. Like, like the first kill in the film is pretty great. Uh, Let's not oversell it. <laughs> no, no, I, it's great. It's I enjoyed it a lot. I mean, like, there, there's, there's, you know, unintentional humor. There's good blood splatter effects. Sure. I mean, you know, there's cleaving of limbs. Uh, I mean, there's, there's plenty to enjoy about that first kill. You know, the first five minutes of these movies, when we watch them, they're so important because you're really trying to gauge in your mind about how painful, you know, this 90-minute experience yeah. is going to be. Uh, because, you know, like I said, like we repeat over and over, we don't go into them with the thought that, hey, this is going to be terrible. No. But it could be. So when, when we've watched the first five minutes and it's not, and it's like, well, there's something going on here. This could be all right. That kind of gives us hope. So, uh, so then we hope to not be immediately deflated. <laughs> exactly. You know, I mean, they're, they're not all hip-hop locos. I mean, you know, so, some and, of them start off pretty great and then, and then kind of fall apart. And this is, this is just one of them. The, th- the thing is, is that, like, I, I mean, this is my second time watching the movie. So, I mean. Uh, Mine too. Huh? Mine too. Yeah. But I, you know, and I, and, and, but the first time was years ago. Um, you know, so I mean, so my memory of the film was that at the time, I think I remember not necessarily enjoying the film, but not hating it, which is kind of how I, which is actually kind of how, how I'm left after the second viewing as well. You know, <laughs> uh, you know, uh, this is a, a lot of people who listen know that, that some of the films that we cover come from the uh, Bloody Nightmares collection that was released by, I, I guess it would be Mill Creek under their Pendulum Pictures label a few years back mm. uh, of almost exclusively no-budget movies. This movie is on that collection, but retitled, uh, instead of Blood Cult, it's called Slasher. And uh, what's most notable about Slasher, as opposed to Blood Cult, is that the mastering on the DVD is all fucked up. So the last half hour has no audio. <laughs> so that was my only ever view, ever viewing of Blood Cult was with a different title and without any audio for the last half hour. I actually think it was a better movie. <laughs> but you missed some of the best uh, quotes. Yes, that's true, as we will get into, perhaps starting immediately. Uh, but before we do do that, uh, I just want to talk uh, just briefly about the fact that this was a massively 
financially successful movie. I mean, it only cost $27,000 to make. I think I read somewhere it made ten times that on video, uh, or maybe maybe significantly more. Uh, there was even a, a, a sequel made to Blood Cult, which I've never seen. Yeah, it's called I Revenge. I don't know if you've seen it's called Revenge, yeah. and I think in some releases it's Revenge, Blood Cult 2. has a lot of the main cast returning. Um, and we can see, as we get to the end of the plot here, that it could set up for a sequel. Though, I'll tell you, there's a lot in this movie that doesn't make any fucking sense at all. Those are the best parts. Those are the best <laughs> parts, Mo. <laughs> Especially once you get past that first half hour, you're just hoping for things that don't make sense, because the things that are making sense are boring as fuck. Yeah. Yeah, let's get into this. Let's get into it. It it starts at the sorority. Yeah, it starts with uh, now. I didn't. I wasn't keeping track of because it'll tell you. That it told you the sorority, and then it told you the, the what day of the week it was for some fucking reason. Monday, uh, Mo. It was Monday at the Chi Omega sorority. <laughs> Ch- Chi Omega. <laughs> Go Omegs. Yeah, and this movie opens up the way most slasher films should open up, and wh- that is with a shower scene. Now, granted, yeah. there's no nudity involved, but it's still Ooh. a shower scene nonetheless. Mm-hmm. You know, we get some, some belly shots or whatever, but I mean, who cares? <laughs> well, I'm a belly fetishist, so I care very much. Yeah. Here's the thing about this first scene, Mo, is that it's a tribute to two of the most famous scenes in horror movie history. Let's see, the Psycho remake and... <laughs> <laughs> and Rob Zombie's Halloween. <laughs> This first scene, you're right, it's a shower scene, and it's uh, we are introduced very quickly to our murderer, though, of course, we don't see their face, and it's done a lot through a first-person view, uh, just like the opening scene of Halloween, mm. but he's heading towards a shower, just like the famous scene in Psycho. Mm. Combine them both together, and you get, actually, something that's pretty decent. Yeah. So, uh, so the, you know, the, I, I guess you know it's it's, it's a frater- uh, sorority house. So I mean, you know, the the the, the girl's home alone. Uh, I guess she's expecting people to come back, and she has. I mean, let, let's just warn people now that there's not a lot of particularly choice uh, audio clips from this film. So we grabbed what we could. This might act even the ones we even the ones we grabbed are most of them are more music in context. Yeah. Um, so that being said, just keep that in mind when you listen to this. Uh, but uh, yeah, so she so she kind of calls out to her friends, and it's just, it was just kind of funny the way she did it. So here here it is. Come on, you guys, are you all back yet? Answer me. <laughs> That's funny. You know what? That's really not that amusing. But when I was watching it, the way that she said "answer me" sounded really amusing. Yeah. So, to me. Well, I mean, yeah. Sometimes sometimes you uh, you hear it in your head differently than, uh, and that's why that's why I had to have that preface because I remember, you know, what, grabbing that quote, thinking to myself, "That's not really." No, you're absolutely cool. right, Mo. I shouldn't have asked you to grab yeah. that quote in retrospect. That's all right. I think it's because I think this was made in Oklahoma, and the accent. Uh, who am I to be making fun of? Fucking I know, accents, right? But uh, <laughs> but the way she said it, I guess it just kind of struck me as amusing. But I was wrong. I was desperate, Mo. I was looking for my fix of hilarious quotes. This is two minutes I, into the film. <laughs> I know, right? I get desperate very easy. I guess so. Okay, so anyway, she's in the shower. Her friends are gone out to get pizza. The killer comes in, comes upstairs very slowly. This whole scene takes like five minutes. Mm-hmm. It's well done, but it takes fucking forever. Yeah. No. And, and and in that respect, I mean, it's kind of funny you would mention Giallo because I was going to to mention that myself. There are a lot, especially in this opening scene. There's a lot of it that's very Giallo, and that is to say, kind of 
slow and unbearable sometimes, but uh, but well done. <laughs> yeah, I mean, and, and they, you know, they they in in one of the following scenes. Uh, they fetishize the uh, the cleaver a little bit. They show like the the light gleaming off. Yeah, it. yeah, yeah. There's lots of those kind of shots <laughs> that would remind you of that. Um, but in this case, it doesn't really get. I mean, there's tension building. The music is all synthesizery, and it's all right. Uh, and then he gets to the door of the shower. Yes, he or the does. door of the bathroom, I should say. Yeah. That, yeah, he sure does. He sure does. <laughs> What's funny is that she opens the door right at the point where he reaches the. Reaches it, he or she yeah. reaches it, <laughs> and uh, and there's a struggle. He's trying to break through the door, yep. uh, and I actually really like that. I like the idea that um, that that this is this is not some sort of superhuman killer. This is someone who's going to overcome you by sheer persistence, yeah. as opposed to brute force. Exactly, exactly. You know, and so and so basically, what ends up happening is we have another. I don't know. I don't know if you want to call this a, a, another homage or some effect, but I mean the idea of somebody smashing through through a door with a uh, a bladed object is nothing new to horror. But uh, yeah, so they attack at the door a little bit. They eventually get find their, get their way in. Uh, it's like The Shining. That's what you were referring to. Yeah, The Shining. Uh, I mean, <laughs> it's been done a million times, though. I mean, The Shining. Do you think Mo that you could cut through a door with a meat cleaver? Yeah, sure. You think so? Yeah, one of those one of those cheapo fucking like plywood and cardboard ones, certainly. I suppose you're yeah. right. Um, you know, I mean having done it myself as a, you know, long-time serial <laughs> killer. Oh. <laughs> oh, I see. I thought you were going to say something disturbing there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So this maniac kills this woman. Yep. This girl brings, brings the cleaver down, hacks off her arm. But there's a really great thing is like as like they don't I mean as is typical in this sort of thing, they don't really show the hacking going on. Mm-hmm. Um because there's there was no real way to lay out the uh, the fake arm to do the hack. And uh and so they show a lot of there's a lot of blood splatter and I thought the blood splatter effects were really great. I really enjoyed yeah, them. Yeah. They really are. And then and then and then the funniest thing, one of the funniest things in the film, as far as I'm concerned, happens. And her hand kind of slaps up against the wall, and then it starts to slide down. <laughs> and as it slides down, it reaches the, the, the water knob <laughs> and turns the water on. Mm-hmm. But, it's, but it's not, like, intuitive. It's not the way that her hand is going. She actually has to grab the knob and twist <laughs> away from her to turn it on. You can see how in a person's mind, like, when they're formulating the shot, it's like, yes, no, her arm is coming down, and she's going to turn on the water just, just by brushing against it. But it, the mechanics don't work. Exactly. So. It's, it's, it, it, to turn on, you have to go the opposite direction. It just That's didn't right. work. So I mean, so it's kind of unintentionally hilarious. But then we then we we have this great shot um, of uh, of inside the tub, and this arm just kind of flops into it, uh, which is a which which they again done really well. Uh, the the fake arm that they used was uh, <laughs> was looks looked really cool. He got a really clean cut, considering he was using a he or she was using a meat cleaver. <laughs> I guess it's I guess it's made for that purpose. Well, so. I mean, it's a cleaver. What do you expect? Uh, what do I expect? Cleavers are made and also for he put, bones. He, also, he, uh, he or she puts a medallion on the corpse of this girl. Which we find out is a trend. It's a trend. It will become a trend. And it's also symbolic of, oh, I guess you'll find out. <laughs> <laughs> it might have something to do with the title Blood Cult. <laughs> uh, or it might not. <laughs> oh, yeah, exactly. Who knows? And then we're treated to... Uh, to 
uh, to a little bit of an expository uh, scroll, which sort of exp- sets mm. up the movie and explains everything poorly. Uh, and I decided instead of having one of us read it because it is ridiculously long, um, uh, that I I decided to record it myself. So I'm going to play that for you. This is the introductory scroll that comes on the screen that we're supposed to read as the audience. Exactly. Let's see, let's hear. Here we go. In the winter of 1985, one of the strangest series of murders in recent history shocked a small Midwestern college campus. The tragedies began on a cold November night and would grow into a crime spree that affected the entire community. It baffled even the experts. Under fire from public outrage, and with a political election drawing near, Sheriff Ron Wilbois would find himself faced with unraveling the mystery of the murderous attacks. This story tells of his efforts and the bizarre results of his investigation. Okay, here's the thing, Mo. His efforts are shit. Like he, he. We're gonna go into this. He but does nothing. And and this voiceover, which was, you did a very good Thank job, you. Mo. You read it. You read it. Exactly as it was written. <laughs> uh, is is the most superfluous, unnecessary thing. Everything that we're about to see after the opening title credits, uh, which is after this, will just set up exactly what's said. We'll hear about the fact that an election is coming up again and again. We'll learn that uh, you know that this is the winter of 1985, and that Sheriff Ron Wilbois. Uh, we spend like 90% of the movie with him, and it, this. It it is completely unnecessary, but yet there it is. It looks like something that you would read on the back of the VHS box. Exactly. But check this out, though. I you know so so I skipped. I had to skip ahead to about the sixteen minute mark to find the pronunciation for his name, and then come to find out that later his daughter uh, explains it to somebody that it's actually not Will Bois. It's Will Boyce. But it's he said Will. Oh, you said Will Boyce. I said Will. You Bois. said it. Yeah. <laughs> you know, because the first person we encounter to say his name also says Wilbois, and it's not him. Like, he should have said his name at the the second... He, wait, let's put it this way. As soon as that scroll is done, we get we get the opening credits, the title sequence, the opening card, what all that jazz. And actually, the, the title card on the film looks really cool. Yeah. You know, it's actually... It's really it's really well done. It looks like, you know, like somebody scraped blood across this thing and yeah. made, you know I, I tossed it I tossed it up on Yeah, it's up on our Facebook up on our Facebook page. And um and uh <laughs> and then we're and then immediately following following the opening credits, we get uh we get the sheriff um coming out of his car and there's like a voiceover being done and he's basically explaining kind of everything that just got said uh-huh. in the thing. You know, you would think that he would say his name. I'm Sheriff Ron. Was it Will Bois? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Will Bois, you know? I mean, like, I had to record that voiceover like 16 times because I kept fucking up his name, only to find out that I was fucking it up in the wrong way. <laughs> well, Mo, that was a tremendous waste of time. <laughs> That's how it works. Thus is the life of a voiceover actor, I guess. I just put 15 hours into this. Uh, yeah, we're not going to use any of that. <laughs> But yeah, so so but the best thing is that during this voiceover, we come into a scene that has talking in it. Yeah. So it only leads me to believe that that was the original opening of the film, but they hated it. <laughs> so they're like, uh, we're, we're just going to add this shit over the top of it. 
we're not actually at that point yet, but but I my impression from that scene mo is that they recorded it and fucked up the audio mm. Be- because you can hear the speaking in the background, but it sounds kind of fuzzy. Uh, and there are some moments uh, in the scene following that which also seem like they had some audio issues and they ended up like using close up takes. Oh, that's right. There's another. There's another kill before uh, before we get to this. Yeah. Stuff. All right. Well, there's another kill. Yeah. Whatever. It, I mean, this one's a little bit better though. It's it's funnier at the very least. Ah, uh, this kill is way better. Uh, sorry, I don't mean to, mean to disagree or stomp all over you there, Mo, but it's way fucking. <laughs> it's it's. Let me set the scene for you. We're now we're at the Tri Delta sorority, so and this is late Wednesday night, completely different. But this is but this is not before we we get a a real quick shot of uh, of one of the sponsors, Ramada Inn. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and uh, there, this is a sorority house And we see uh, one sorority girl Very lovely young woman uh, Asleep in her bed And there's a rocking chair in the background And who's in the rocking chair? I'm asking you Oh, uh, the killer? The killer, the male or female killer Is in the rocking chair uh, We also get a quick glimpse, though it's really dark Of the other person in the room Who's sleeping in a bed next to this uh, girl And uh, she is dead Yes, she is. And there's something notable about her being dead. What's that, Mo? Oh, I would imagine that would be the lack of a head. She has been decapitated. Decapitation! Uh, I will say that this movie is not scary Mm -mm. in any way, but the closest moment that it gets to being, I think, tense is the idea of this kind of killer with this uh, big butcher knife rocking in a cereal, uh, cereal, rocking in a rocking chair while you're sleeping, like, just a couple of feet away from him. Uh, I thought it was a kind of nice image. I thought it was all well done. Yeah, I agree. But... uh, but this girl, she thinks that the sound that she hears of the rocking is actually just Debbie, her roommate. Debbie, is that you? Are you still away? I totally should have turned that one up. <laughs> it's such an awful... <laughs> she, just, she just says, Debbie, are you there? <laughs> Whatever. Uh, but but no, Debbie isn't there because <laughs> Debbie has been decapitated. Debbie's dead. But Debbie's dead. Uh, this scene, uh, I think, is pretty stylish, but... Who gives a shit about that? The great thing about this scene is that uh, Debbie's head is used as a weapon. Yeah, I, I'm. I'm. I, I must. I must have turned my head at at, at a moment um, when when he grabs the head to attack her, um, and all I really see because I mean, he attacks her with a knife first, like in her bed. Right. Which, but she breaks away. He's very. He or she is very incompetent at stabbing her with that knife. Uh, exactly. Yeah, he misses he misses her sleeping head for somehow, and uh, stabs her pillow a bunch of times, and uh, and, and she she ends up getting away. Um, next thing I know, he's he's hitting her with something. Now I had not, I I'm, my head was not facing the screen at the time when uh when when he starts hitting her, so I didn't see what he had grabbed. And then all of a sudden, I'm like, I, I see the shadow, and I'm like, is he beating her with a head? <laughs> Yes, he is beating. He or she is beating Ugh. her with a head, uh, and you can say she. <laughs> the possible he? No, it's a he. There's only there's one one death that takes place from the she. <laughs> you don't know anything. Mo. I do. That might have been a dream. I, you're that, right. It might have been that, a dream. <laughs> it it was probably a dream when when Sheriff. Wilbois ran into a branch. <laughs> this movie is ridiculous. Uh, hey, Doc White, do you like dogs? <laughs> All right, none of that makes any sense yet. 
<laughs> and it won't. <laughs> it won't. It won't make sense later either. Oh, uh, so so uh, she's upset, this girl, from being hit by her uh, friend's decapitated head. Uh, but she uh, eventually gets uh, knocked unconscious uh, after a little protestation, in fact. Please don't. Please don't hurt me. What are you doing? Why? Why? <laughs> What? That delivery's that delivery's a little bit more hilarious. Why, like, why am I laughing at somebody pleading for their lives? I guess because it's kind why? of why. Please don't kill me. It actually looks like he just knocks her unconscious. Uh, he or she knocks her unconscious and leaves. But uh, but really, that's not what happens. The this girl gets uh, murdered. Yeah, she's dead. But uh, this is one of the few. This is one of those cases where, for some reason, he doesn't think to grab the head. Yeah, you know. Yeah, that's right. He doesn't. Yeah, he doesn't grab that's the head, weird. and that's a huge like sticking point. Like not later, but I mean, it's like that's part of that's kind of how they figure out the mo is is that that's he's right. like grabbing body parts, but he for, but he's like too preoccupied with killing the other chick to to grab the the head. Just like a woman, huh? To forget the body part that she came there to get. Except that was a dude. Yeah, I don't know about that. <laughs> <laughs> So uh, we start getting a regular series of voiceovers in a uh, sort of film noir style, except absolutely fucking terrible. It's completely devoid of any kind of style. No style, right. Yeah. It's just saying what's going on. It's like a boring director's commentary. Yeah. And this is, now, this is all from the sheriff. Um, who sheriff is, Ron Wilbois? Yeah. <laughs> sheriff Ron, Ron Wilbois, who is an incredibly dull character. And played by an incredibly dull actor. <sighs> Charles Ellis, who plays Ron Will Boys. I guess that's how it's pronounced, is it? That's what they say, but I mean, whatever. So Ron Will Boys is played by Charles Ellis, and Charles seems like a very nice older gentleman. You notice several times that he's wearing a hearing aid, that he is... He's got to be, what, mid-60s, late-60s? At the youngest. At the youngest. He is our hero, ladies and gentlemen. <clears throat> the sheriff that we're supposed to trust our lives to. Uh, this is the he, closest thing to my dream of seeing Wilford Brimley as an action hero. Now, now uh, from some very brief uh, research online, uh, we can learn that originally Buster Crabbe, the star of the old Flash Gordon serials, was supposed to star in this movie. And this script is from the 70s, but he passed away. So they decided to replace him by uh, with Charles Ellis. And Charles seems, he really does seem like a nice, doddering old fool of a man. Think, think uh, about that for a second, though. Imagine if this movie had been made in the 70s with Buster Crab. No, I, I refuse to. I, I'm just saying, like, <laughs> like, it, like, how much better of a movie would it have been? Well, I mean, I would imagine it would have been shot on influences, film. Yeah, but all the influences would have been different. I mean, it probably would look nothing like it in it. It probably would just be a straight mystery type film. That's fine. You know, it's still. It, I mean, it would. You're right. That would be way. Better. It would have been a way better movie. Because <laughs> this wasn't. Because this isn't a horror film. I mean, it's barely a slasher film. It's really more of a police procedural than anything else. Especially at this point on. Hmm. Oh man! From this point on, man, it's uh, it's about to get rough. We're fucked. <laughs> so, as you mentioned before, Mo, he does his voiceover, and a scene plays out under uh, under this voiceover. Mm -hmm. uh, he talks about. Uh, we see. The, um, the 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 doctor uh, yeah the coroner that's right Doc White who comes up to to uh, clean up the crime scene and the voiceover mentions that he's sort of a suspicious character that he isn't doing his job well and that we'll find out later that that there's something sort of uh, 
off-putting about it. Well, I like the fact that like uh, that that the uh, the sheriff kind of doesn't really just say that he's not doing his job well. He like he's like I can't tell if he's you know if he's like incompetent or just stupid or something. Right. You know? Like he basically thinks like he thinks that the guy's an idiot. Yeah, it's weird to be honest with you because uh, you'll see why it's weird. And this scene kind of ends weird too because he picks up the 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 decapitated head and puts it with the rest of the body. Yeah. I guess I guess that makes sense. Well, yeah, well, it's, it, it fits in with what with what R- Will Bois was saying about uh, <laughs> a, about the guy. You were saying like he, you know he, he was disturbing the crime he's, scene before anybody. He's sloppy. Yeah, that he's really sloppy and and sort of incompetent with what he's doing. But it, but ultimately, it all kind of makes sense when. When you get to the end of the film, yeah, Doc White he becomes important later. Except maybe not. Ex- we'll except see. Rarely or barely. <laughs> but we got to work out what this whole murder thing is about. At this point, it is a serial murder. There's two college coeds dead, so he needs to do some research. He needs to do some detective work. So he's going to go to the library and talk to his daughter, mm-hmm. the college library where his daughter works, uh, and it luckily. She is the competent person in the family. Yeah, I love that. That's that's even part of the voiceover. He's like, "Thankfully, my daughter found a, a lead in the case." <laughs> like... I mean, it's th- these little uh, medallions, these trinkets are being left on each of the corpses. So that is a pretty great clue, I think. Word, right? Uh, I, this goes back to that that voiceover that you did most. Uh, mo- <laughs> That voiceover that you did that's written on the screen where they talk about that it baffled even the experts. Maybe a couple of experts is something you'd bring in on a case like this. I would imagine even one expert and not relying mm-hmm. and not relying on your daughter's boyfriend to do all the research for you. <laughs> uh, oh, and uh, speaking of the daughter. Now, this man is obviously in his mid to late 60s at earliest, as we've uh, <laughs> worked out. Mm-hmm. And his daughter, Tina, she... She lives in one of the sorority houses. Her boyfriend apparently is a uh, a student, uh, but she appears to be almost forty. I mean, she looks about that age. She doesn't look like a college student. She seems very nice. Yeah, no, I mean, nothing wrong with her. She just doesn't <laughs> look like a college student. No, she doesn't. She's okay. She's she's a perfectly. I mean, you know, she she doesn't have much to do, but she's certainly a lot better than. Uh, than her father. <laughs> and she figured out uh, what the medallion's all about. She found a book, a pretty re- relatively new book to the library, which explains that uh, the medallion is representative of a cult of uh, witches from like 1700 uh, who are American, and they uh, kind of formed as a backlash against the Salem witch trials. Indeed. And he cannot believe that someone did research. <laughs> he is overjoyed that his daughter is so sharp at actually making an effort to find out what the fuck is going on. You did it. Good for you, kid. Man, that's a that's a freaking dead one, too. I'll repeat what he said. He goes, You did it. Good for you, dear. Or good for you, kid. Yeah, he goes, Good for you, kid. <laughs> so uh, we learned some really important information here. The most important bit is that this uh, cult, they do a ritual sacrifice of a mannequin, which is made up of body parts, uh, body parts of those who have offended them. So they basically like, make a Frankenstein monster, at least that's what it's, it's suggested as, and then they burn that as this sort of ritual sacrifice. They also worship, I guess, uh, a, a dog? Caninus. Is that correct? A Caninus, who is like a dog god. Well, wait a second. Dog, backwards, is god. 
You know, this is, Mo, this is what they pay you the big bucks for, Doug. Your, your insightful film criticism. This guy's this guy, this caninus. <laughs> <laughs> He's bad news. He's a bad dude. Yeah. And, I mean, uh, it, it, it's so bad, in fact, that even our, our mild-mannered uh, Ron Wilboys uh, swears a little at the thought. Son of a bitch. <laughs> Son of a bitch. Oh, my God. <laughs> and that's really about as bad as the language in this film really gets. Yeah, this is a, <laughs> this is a strangely tame movie at times. Yeah, it's really weird. Like, um, you know, it, it's like one of those things where, like, where, where, like, you watch uh, like a certain genre of film in this particular case, horror. You kind of expect a lot of swearing, and like, and and really, um, like, if you look at the box on this one, or like the any pictures uh, of the boxes, like, it always lists this as an NC seventeen movie. Yeah. Which is so not the case. I mean, there's nothing NC-17 about this at all, with the exception of maybe a decapitation or two. But I mean, there's nothing, there's nothing so grotesque or overly violent that would, uh, you know, that would make anybody like throw up or anything like that. And yeah, there's barely any bad language. Period. There's no nudity. You know, yeah. <laughs> it's, it's a lot of rather a lot of rubber limbs and things like it's that. Basically, this. Yeah. <laughs> That's it. Now, something kind of funny happens here. Uh, the sheriff, who wants to do a little bit more research on this book, which is the right decision, he he wants to take the book with him. Yeah. And she's very resistant to this idea. And he's... He, I don't know why he didn't say, hey, I'm a fucking sheriff, so I'm just going to take this book. Well, he kind of does. It, he goes, it'll be in police custody. <laughs> right, he does. But, like, why would she even be upset? Exactly. It's a library. <laughs> he's not, even if he stole the book, all right? Who gives a shit? Yeah. <laughs> you know, but, but even at that, I mean, it's a fu- even like it's you know, I mean, I guess they're making it out that it's a reference book. You're not supposed to take it out. But I mean, like, I know, I know how a library works, Mo. Oh, okay, good. I, I didn't, I didn't know. I mean, because you know, I mean, obviously, I have my master's in library science, so I know these things. I am a librarianarian, so I know all about how libraries are are laid out. Uh, <laughs> I was, I was a, uh, I was a page for <laughs> several uh, months. We'll just let that wash over us. <laughs> we get introduced to the most reprehensible character in the film, and I include the murderer in this. Maybe he is the murderer. We get introduced to Tina's boyfriend, Joel. Oh, is that what his name was? I just kept I like I wasn't even calling him her ner- uh, her boyfriend. I was calling him her nerd friend the entire like in all my notes. I didn't. Yeah, nerdlinger here. Yeah, I mean he's basically <laughs> he. Yeah, I mean like as I so uh, you know aptly pointed out uh, before we started recording is that he really looks like an American version of Stephen Merchant. Yeah, you know? and he does. He's got that goggle-eyed freak thing going yeah, on. Yeah, like super, big super nerdy, you know, big like Wallace and Gromit smile. Yeah. Cracking toast, Gromit! <laughs> <laughs> I mean, he looks like a big dork, but he, and that's not a problem. We're big dorks, so we understand how that can work. Yeah. But he plays it as this big prick asshole fuckface, you know? He's one of those kind where, of dorks. Right, where he's like super confident and he's like making out with, with the guy's daughter, who is 35 or whatever, but still, I mean, right in front right of in her. Right in front of her and constantly. You know, and it's like not even, it's not even like an attractive kind of uh, of making out either. It's really, like after like the third or fourth kiss scene on, on uh, in the film, like you were just, you, you want to like pry them apart and just be like, you stand over there and you stand over there because I'm sick of looking at this. 
Yeah, I mean, you know, there's nothing wrong with unattractive people making out. No, I just mean, behind I mean, closed doors. Yeah, we don't want to. We don't need them smooshed together in front of our faces when we're trying to enjoy the murder. Exactly. You know? Exactly. You know, and and, and, that, and that's what gives you an idea about this whole thing is because we'd rather watch murder than watch these two make out. And he's not only just a bad maker outer, <laughs> but he's also like he's constantly talking about how incompetent the sheriff is, and he is. But he's also talking like about it. he's going to go off and do his own investigation, like this fucking dickhead, right? Real dude. He's going to go out and solve the fucking murder. Yep. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Big fucking douche. Yeah, he's a douche. And he will continue to be. But at least that adds a little color to the whole mm-hmm. thing. Speaking of color, uh, that's not a transition because there's nothing having to do with color uh, here, but the sheriff gets uh, asked to visit the dean of the college. He's a little upset. Yep. He's a really upset man because uh, the, there's been two murders. <laughs> so so this is probably not a usual thing that he has to deal with. Yeah, it's surprising. It's actually kind of surprising that it took murders for him to have a conversation with the dean but um yeah i mean i didn't really take any notes about the dean's conversation because it was just putting me to sleep yeah it's a really boring long scene but there is two things that i thought were notable about all right well then i'll I'll let you i'll let you go for it then okay so they're having a conversation the dean is very upset he basically is putting pressure on ron uh to solve this quickly because this is an election year remember yeah and uh, and because he's voted against the dean in the past, uh, they see him as a bit of a troublemaker. But the two things that are notable are, one, that the dean suggests almost immediately, you know, what we should really do is close the school so that no one will be, uh, there'll be no more victims, so at least that might save some lives. And the sheriff tells him to not do it. He tells him to leave the school open because if they close it, then the murderer won't try to murder someone else and they won't be able to catch him. I love you, Ron Wilbois. <laughs> the second notable thing is how he expresses that. He says that uh, <laughs> he advises against it because if they uh, if they close the school, it'll queer their chance to catch the killer. <laughs> that's, that's such an old-timey way of saying how difficult it's going to be. <laughs> oh, we are children. <laughs> that's really – that's ridiculous. Well, that's that's the whole scene, and it just goes on and on. It really does. It's ridiculously long and incredibly dull. So you know what we need to spice things up a little? Murder. Indeed. At the Kappa Alpha Theta house <laughs> Friday night. And this one's not and this one's not really that great. No. Yeah, you know, basically the chick great. goes to take the trash out, gets attacked. Yeah, it gets slashed up while she's putting out the garbage. Yeah. Uh, her leg gets cut off. Uh, that part is actually pretty graphic where you see them chopping up the leg. Yeah, that's not so bad. Yeah, and then they leave an amulet, and then a guy comes out looking for Jill. Like, Jill that's notable. Jill, where are you? Jill! Uh, you believe me, I took some special joy in this scene. <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, and then he finds the body, and then he runs back inside, and that's the whole scene. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, after you keep that, thinking the little... movie's going to pick up, and it just doesn't. <laughs> Doesn't get any better than this, folks. There, there isn't any. What's really weird is that there are never really any red herrings about who it's supposed to be. They don't hint at any qualities of the killer that we should be looking for. So you know, the it doesn't really matter who it ends up being. It's not. It doesn't even treat it like a mystery. It only treats it like: is he going to find this person? Not 
who is well, I don't know. Person? I mean, there, there, there's a couple of... Well, yeah, I, mean, I guess you're right, but I mean, there are a couple of moments where you start thinking about who it's going to be. You right, know, especially because, near the end. Because obviously, you know, I mean, this is essentially that kind of movie, and you got to kind of, like, use your brain and try to... Well, you, I mean, granted, you don't really need to use your brain, but you, you, know, you try to use your brain to figure out who the hell is doing all this stuff. And, you know, at times you think, oh, maybe it's, you know, uh, maybe it's uh, the boyfriend... You know who who who's where, where? That's where my eyes kept turning back uh, to, the to the boyfriend. Your eyes just kept moving to that boyfriend. Yeah, I'm just like, ooh, look at that guy with his googly eyes. Yeah. <laughs> uh, they, they, you're right. There is a part where you a point where you're probably trying to think of who the actual killer is, but they fucked that all up. Yeah, and, and we'll talk about that in just a but bit. But you are but right. First, though, there's no good like red herrings at all in the film. Now the sheriff isn't alone, <laughs> as you might think. In this, in this entire town, he has a deputy. He does have a and, deputy. And not only does he have a deputy, this sheriff is really onto something because he has a theory. I love his theory. That he decides to bring up. Actually, actually, it's th- this theory is part of the reason why I thought it was the boyfriend. Oh, really? Well, why is that, Mo? Oh, listen. Could this be some kind of Dungeons and Dragons game or some uh, scavenger hunt going on around here somewhere? You heard anything? Nope. <laughs> it's great because it feels exactly like what a 60 year old would say in like 1985 it's like oh murders <laughs> oh cults Will this be some kind of Dungeons and Dragons game <laughs> well I mean because at the time I mean like blaming satanic shit on Dungeons and Dragons was pretty oh, popular yeah. you know remember they released that there's that Tom Hanks movie where they're playing Dungeons and Dragons and he starts I think he gets, starts killing people does anyone know what I'm talking about you know what I'm talking about I don't you don't no. Well, then I'm going to quickly, while we're on here, look up Tom Hanks Do it. and Dungeons and & Dragons. And what comes up is Mazes and Monsters. Oh, which yeah, okay. 1982. Yeah. I, I used to come on uh, A&E all the time, I remember. <laughs> so I watched that movie a bunch of times, yet can remember nothing about it except that Tom Hanks is in it. <laughs> Those are the best kind of movies. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> so, so he talks to the deputy. He thinks that it might have something to do with Dungeons & Dragons. The deputy says... No, but it doesn't matter because he's going to bring it up like three more times. I love, I love it though. Like that's and that's why I kept the deputy's response in there too because it's so great. It's like, nope. <laughs> no, the deputy hasn't heard anything about that. He has heard about a group looking to resurrect Peter Laurie's body. But he doesn't know how that turned out. The one amusing thing said by anybody in the entire and we didn't group. grab the audio for it. <laughs> Me saying it was amusing enough. Yeah, though. I guess so. <laughs> But then the next shot that we're that we're subjected to is probably probably the most uninspired dullest shot in the entire movie. Yes, it is. It absolutely it's is. It's a single it's a single camera shot. Mm-hmm. You know, you ca- uh, of essentially a house in a barn. Mm-hmm. You know, you get house half the house in one shot in in one half of the shot and half the barn in the other and it's like across the the length of a yard. <clears throat> Now over this, we're getting a lot of uh, you know a lot of overdubbed sound effects. Right. Uh, you know, uh, there's dogs barking and chickens, you know, reacting to the dogs barking, and um, you know, and uh, a woman uh, from the house screaming at the dog, basically to, to shut up. Um, and the dog's name is Sparks. Sparks the dog. Uh, you know, and so uh, so ultimately we end up hearing. A uh, you know a, a loud sort of you know a, a dog squeal and then nothing. 
this I hate this whole scene to be honest with you for for there's nothing enjoyable about this scene at all it, like you said all it is is basically a static shot dog barking a person yelling the dog squealing and then they cut to a close up of, of a dog's body with no yeah, head yeah dog head oh yeah they show the dog's head first and then they show the body with no head yeah and and it's uh, it's unnerving because it's I don't like to see dogs get their sure. heads cut off uh, it, it bothered me in, in uh, Candyman when that happens, and it bothers me here. Um, and it's also just really, it's a terrible, it, it feels like one of those scenes that were just added to link something together, because this goes back to this Oh, later that's on. exactly what it was. And it feels so lazy. You know? It is, it's incredibly lazy. Like, as I was watching that scene, keep in mind, this scene's like maybe six or seven minutes long, maybe even longer. Um, and it's, it's nothing. It's this static shot the entire time, you know? And it's like, Oh Jesus Christ, you know? And then eventually, um, you know, like they show the, you know, they cut to the dog, like, which is the only cut in the scene. They cut to the dog and and they basically show the guy picking up the dog head. Uh, and then they cut back to that static shot again. You hear the, you hear the woman telling her husband to go check on the dog. And then eventually you see this old guy with a shotgun kind of, Walking across, moseying you know, yeah. over to the thing, and his response to the dog being dead is like the laziest line reading I've ever seen. <laughs> he's just like, "Honey, the dog's dead. Bring a shovel." <laughs> yeah, that's what he's not too upset about it. He's not I upset at all. Things happen. Yeah, uh, I, I do like that. It goes from this kind of gross scene, and it cuts uh, immediately to a, a shot of a close-up of a hamburger being. <laughs> being made, yeah. uh, which uh, is is revolting. It's in it's I in pretty it's poor taste, so. but uh, but but also kind of funny at the same time. And and this scene that's about to come up is in pretty poor taste in general, wouldn't you say, Mo? <laughs> yes. Why is that? Because it's in the cafeteria. It's in a cafeteria, and they're ordering cafeteria food like uh, hamburger and salad. Yeah, you should call it a beef patty, but I'm assuming it's beef like patty. some kind of like Salisbury steak or something. Yeah, that's what it looked like. Yeah, which, uh, which is which is plenty revolting to me. I mean, I'm not a big fan of, of Salisbury steak and '80s food. Yeah, <laughs> it all looks sort of weird and kind of unappetizing. Yeah, like the whole the but, whole time I'm looking at that can of Diet Coke going. Mm. <laughs> like that's the well, that's the only thing I would touch on that entire tray. Well, that blue plate special and the Coke only cost two dollars and ninety cents. Yeah, I, but there's a but there's a really great shot where she's sort of like standing around this like like island of uh, stuff, you know, and like yes. and you see like red cabbage, and she she passes on that, and then she goes toward she goes over and looks at the cottage cheese, which is just in this bin out in the open air. <laughs> You know, and she passes on that, which thank goodness, you know, and then, but she ends up getting some salad, you know. Yeah, she got, she gets a big hunk, several scoops of salad. (laughs) (laughs) And I guess that's going to lead to something. Well, yeah, Um, we get a, we know something's amiss because the chef who is Chinese, or I guess he's a chef, comes out in speaking, uh, Chinese. I assume it's and Chinese. I couldn't tell if it was Chinese or Japanese, but it's. I, oh, I don't want to be offensive. I don't want to be offensive. I don't want to so be offensive either. Out. I'm just saying. Like, I mean, like obviously the two languages don't sound anything alike. You know, I just, I just couldn't tell. I'm gonna go with Chinese. Yeah, I'll, I'd probably go Chinese too. But it, in the in the cast list, he is written down as dishwasher. So I guess he was the dishwasher. Because well, there's nothing case. offensive about that. And uh, played by Charlie Yip. Which I believe would be That's Chinese, Chinese in this yeah. case, likely. Yeah. yeah. So, uh, so we're safe. Whew. 
We we don't want to be offensive on this show. No, no, yeah. We we would never want to be offensive. He's very upset, and he comes out yelling. Uh, the reason he's so upset uh, is is very is made clear because the person who was picking up that salad she discovers that there's two fingers in the salad. Yep, that's just awful. <laughs> she dr- she screams and drops it all in slow motion. She's very very upset. I guess she would be. They run outside and they find that there's a uh, a corpse in the garbage uh, dump, the uh, dumpster, and it's missing two fingers. So I'm going to use my uh, I'm going to use probability wise. It's probably likely that it was from the same person. Well, they said that uh, they said that that her hand was missing, and then and then uh, and then the two fingers as well. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Two, but they show her hand with the two fingers missing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, they don't show the All other right. hand. So, because that would be, that'd be different. Yeah, and she does so. have a, and she, she does have a huge cleaver wound in her head, too, which was pretty good, uh, which is a pretty good practical effect. Yeah, it's not bad. Yeah. It worked. So, speaking of disgusting things, uh, we go back to Tina and her boyfriend, and they're laying in bed. <laughs> and uh, he says... You know what, Mo? I, I've spent most of my life trying to turn every statement I hear into some sort of sexual innuendo. Yeah. I mean, it's just something that I do. It's something I enjoy. It's something uh, a lot of us do. Right. Well, Joel, he has a funny way of speaking. Let's hear how he turns an innocent statement into a bit of innuendo. It's actually kind of funny. Um, all right, here. Listen, um, can I talk to you about this later? It's my lunch hour, and I don't want to blow it. Now she tells me. <laughs> oh, 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 you dog! <laughs> um, <laughs> oh, so Joel, nerdy it, you dog! You <laughs> Joel. Joel is not going to get blown, uh, and he's very upset. Um, and he also he's upset because he feels like Tina's father, the sheriff, is trying to force her to come home and stay with him because he's worried about her well-being. Yeah, which is a, a really terrible idea when there are when there's a guy out there murdering people in sorority houses. Three murders, all of them at sorority houses. I could kind of see why you might not want to be at a sorority house yeah. at that time. Maybe give it a little while. Exactly. See if there's any more murders. But, uh, but uh, you know, because he's not going to get blown, he decides that what he's going to do instead, since he thinks that her father isn't doing a good job, he's going to take on the case himself. What an idiot. Yeah, <laughs> and she gets upset about this. She doesn't want... Either her father or Dork she gets it. she gets mad for the for the absolute wrong reason. Mm-hmm. You know, she gets mad because she doesn't want the possibility of losing her dad and her boyfriend. Not that her boyfriend is grossly underqualified to do this. You know, she totally thinks he could figure it out, right? Yeah. Oh, I know you could solve this, but I don't want you going out there getting messed up and all. Yeah, this. it's like it's okay if my dad's out there, <laughs> my elderly father's out there. You know, hunt, hunting this guy down. Man. I uh, I have one more note for the scene, Mo, and it goes: they start making out, and it's gross as shit. It is. It's really gross. <laughs> it's amazingly gross. Like, uh, here, actually, this is this is my note on it. I said, watching these two kiss is amazingly painful. Yeah, it's gross, uh, and they're unappealing in a lot of different ways. <laughs> <laughs> also, a lot of these scenes don't make any sense when you find out what happens later. Yeah. So, uh, so we end up going back to the sheriff's office. Thank God. 
And, uh, and like, he's just, I mean, he's just talking. Like, when the sheriff's talking, like, you almost kind of, like, zone it out. It's almost, it's like everything he says is, this, it's the same thing over again. Yeah, it's like your elderly grandfather talking. Yeah, exactly. Right? It's like listening to Abe Simpson, only not as funny. <laughs> you know, and then we put a, you know, a red onion on my belt, which was the style of the time. Uh, Could this be a Dungeons and Dragons <laughs> thing? These kids or? play, is this some Dungeons and Dragons or scavenger hunt thing? I'm Dumb kids, get off my lawn! Um, you know, and but my favorite part is that I mean I don't know if this was maybe this was just like his intercom system or something, but he picks up his phone and just starts talking. Yeah, you know, and it's like, oh, good, you're there. <laughs> That's how people think phones work. I guess <laughs> this uh, scene is only uh, useful as a transitionary scene to what comes next, which is that we find out that uh, the the dog being killed earlier, that, well, someone called in about it because they thought a poacher might have done it. Uh, and apparently the the deputy just remembers it because he's looking out for anything that's sort of unusual. She sounded drunk, but Ron, because it's an election year, he's going to go out by himself and check this whole thing out. What happens to the deputy later on, by the way? What? The deputy. What happens later on? I mean, Ron ends up having to do a bunch of shit by himself. Why isn't the deputy there helping him? Why does Ron have to stay out all fucking night doing a stakeout when the sh- when the deputy is available? I have no idea. Tell me this, Bo. I mean, do, do they say it? Because I don't remember them saying anything. They don't. About it. They don't. They never explain yeah. it. They he, he this. I think I believe this is the last time we see the deputy. <laughs> well, it's good. It's good. His his uh, his ending is is right before one of the greatest musical numbers of the of the uh, film. This is the most intense driving music possible. Which features a 65-year-old lazily making his way out to the country. <laughs> yeah. Um, imagine, uh, ima- like, as you as you listen to this, imagine a car driving at the speed limit um, down a backwater country road. Yeah! Driving my car. <laughs> Gonna get the bad guy. Gonna find that dog's body. <laughs> Sounds like the opening theme music for like an '80s cop show, or like a uh, like a side-scrolling brawler video game. <laughs> you know, Jimmy and Billy Lee. <laughs> no, it's it, the cop show is just called Will Bois. <laughs> <laughs> You know, only he's like he's like he's he's an elderly cop on the edge. <laughs> well, boy, he's got like an angry black chief. He like screams his name. You're a loose cannon, Will Bois. <laughs> You're a cop on the edge. <laughs> I think the music's over, isn't it? It's been over for a while. <laughs> do, 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 do. This week on Will Bois. The weird thing about when he retur- when he gets to the country and he uh, talks to this woman, Gracie Moore, uh, she tells the entire story of what we saw earlier with the static shot. She says it all again. So there was no need for that earlier Yeah, scene. this is actually technically sort of like the third time we're hearing about it, too, because the deputy sort of tells most of this when he yeah. explains it to him as well. She does give a little bit more exposition, which is going to be important, which is that she thinks that uh, the poachers... She thinks it's poachers because she's been seeing what she thinks are spotlights out in the woods, but it might be a fire. Because those two things look exactly alike. 
Yeah, I don't know how she made that connection, uh, but uh, but it's important to note that a cult could theoretically be building fires off into the woods. Do, 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 I would think do, if they were nearby that they would not want to kill someone really close, like a dog, because that would really get people paying attention to what they're doing. Exactly. But I'm not a cult leader. But I, I love I'm I not, love her. I'm not Doc White. Oops. <laughs> <laughs> I love uh, I love the explanation though. How uh, how she's like, well, my husband wasn't gonna vote for you, but since you came all the way out here, <laughs> yeah, that actually is kind of realistic. Yeah, it, it's um, I mean, it's probably the most realistic thing about the entire film, and yeah, it makes no the most it. sense too. It's like, well, I wasn't gonna pay, I wasn't gonna vote for you, but you came all the way out here. Yeah, and and he decides he's going to make the most of it. He, when he hears that the, those uh, those spotlights or fires are going on in the woods, he decides he's going to come out by himself all goddamn night to stake out the place. Makes sense. And and that's just what's going to happen. The, the, his massive police force of one person can't help him out. He needs to go and do that himself. Uh, but before he does that, he has to go visit his daughter because he hasn't been to the library for a while. <laughs> this is this is actually one of my one of my. Uh... Um. Yeah, this is actually one of my favorite conversations that they have. Not for what they say, because again, I don't give a shit what they're saying. Um, it's just another fucking dull conversation, reiterating points <laughs> they've all already made already. But uh, they get there, and they're all standing at the at the main desk talking. And she says adamantly that she has to return these books before class. Like you know, she there's a couple of books. She they, they have to go back on the shelf. So if you guys want to talk, you have to come with me. Yeah. Okay. Then they all proceed to take those books, go to a table, and yeah, sit, down. sit down. Yep, that's what they do. And he brings up the Dungeons and Dragons thing again. <laughs> we might as well just hear the one from earlier. Because <laughs> it's the exact same thing. Dungeons and Dragons game or some uh, scavenger hunt going on around here somewhere. You heard anything? Nope. nope. <laughs> <laughs> and Joel, being a cock. Uh, he asks to go out with the sheriff. He wants to stay with him in the car. Now, Tina... Which is actually the closest thing to a red herring we have in the entire movie. Right. Because why would he want to do exactly. that? Exactly. Because it's idiotic, right? And the daughter, Tina, she objects for obvious fucking reasons. Well, yeah. Be- because it's idiotic. <laughs> <laughs> but he al- she also doesn't want like both of them risking their lives out there. Which I guess makes some sort of sense. Exactly, and if you have to choose between your your horn dog idiotic boyfriend or your elderly father, I mean, obviously you choose the boyfriend. She also mentions—I don't know if she mentioned this earlier—that that, that uh, the cult in the book they require magistrates and officials, or they draw them to them yeah. when they do their uh, ceremonies. Yeah. So you know, he is probably the next best equivalent to that. So he might not want to necessarily be out there. Sorry. Wilbois. Filmed before a live studio audience. But they this whole great image, this whole idea of like of like this ridiculous like cop show starring like an elderly man. Wilbois. Is it Dungeons and Dragons? No! You said that last week! Well, is it? His daughter has, uh, he again wants her to come home, but she has responsibilities for some reason because it's, uh, I guess it's almost exam time. Well, that's what she says. She says the finals are coming up. Uh, she promised that she would tutor them, you know, and, and look, and the threat of a psycho killer is not going to stop her from studying. 
it's funny. We get indications that the dean has been trying to call the sheriff back because one of the things he said earlier was sort of an ultimatum: is that if anyone else dies, then we're not going to support you. You're on your campaign, and that you think his earlier threat about shutting down the college, he would just go ahead and do that. But despite the fact that a couple of more people are now dead, he hasn't shut down the college. <laughs> nope. I wonder why that might be. Maybe it has something to do with that cult. Dun, dun, dun. So they go to a diner for no good reason. Uh, they all want to talk at the diner for some reason instead of at the library. And <laughs> they run to the diner. <laughs> <laughs> They're being chased while going to the diner. <laughs> no, it's important that they go to the diner because two bits of information uh, we we learn about there. One is that someone put something in the sheriff's coffee. I I couldn't help myself. In my notes, I had to I had to make the Ramones reference. Somebody, <laughs> somebody. <laughs> Seems like somebody put something. Somebody put something in my drink. Uh, someone put something in the sheriff's drink. Uh, this is never fully explained, uh, as we will soon see. Uh, but the other thing that's, that is explained, though is nonsensical, is... Oh, God. Remember when Joel, who, who, comes, who shows up at this diner for no good reason, he sits in, the, in the, one, of these, um, one of the seats. One of the, and then puts the, his feet up on the other side. And puts his feet up on what the other douche. side like an asshole. I mean, he, what a prick. What a fucker. Uh, but since Joel grew up no, near those woods, apparently, uh, and she hates now she hates the idea of her father going out there alone, she, uh, Tina says that it's okay that Joel will stay with her father all night. Not, you think her father would say, you know, I don't want to spend all night with an asshole who doesn't have any police training. Yeah, I, I, think, I think the more most appropriate uh, response would be, well, our insurance doesn't exactly cover non-cops, so... <laughs> yeah, no kidding. <laughs> <sighs> so... He does drink his delicious coffee, mm. uh, which uh, apparently has something in it. Uh, Splenda. And one Splenda, that's right. That's what they were putting into it. A sugar substitute for his It was diabetes. aspartame. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's as dangerous as whatever they yeah, put in there. <laughs> so, so they go out for a stakeout, and they, it's night, and they're in the car, but the sheriff is getting a bit of a headache, and as a professional, he decides he's going to take a nap. He's like, listen, you non-cop, I want you to watch these woods here and wake me. I forgot I'm 70 and I need to go to sleep at 8 o'clock at night. <laughs> it's, look, it's 7.30. It's four hours past dinner time. It's time for me to go to bed. Wake, <laughs> so wake me in the morning at 3.30. He basically tells Joel to wake him up if anything notable happens. <laughs> there are gunshots, sir. No, uh, he, he, the, the sheriff wakes up and Joel is gone. Gone. He's gone, but he's not gone in one of those cool... You know, where the fuck is he? Maybe he's been taken away and sacrificed, which would have been nice. Uh, no, he runs immediately back to the car after he wakes up, and he tells the sheriff that's, that started. I guess something has started. There's lights and weird shit in the woods. Yep. And he starts leading the sheriff, this elderly, poor old man, through the woods, yelling at him to come on and move faster, <laughs> while this guy is desperately, confusedly trying to get through the woods. And also, he's probably been poisoned in some way. Yeah. So he's also, you know, he doesn't know what the fuck is going on. Uh, and he's just getting more and more disoriented as he runs through the woods. And then they get split up. They get split up because Joel, he's got to investigate. He can't stay behind and watch this old man fucking fall apart behind him. <laughs> and the best part is like, yeah, you know, it's like, I'll, you know, I'll catch up. No, just go together. I mean, what the fuck? 
yeah, what's, <laughs> they're not going to be able to put out the fire that quickly. They're not expecting yeah. that. Uh, so, a possibly drugged, disoriented Ron wanders upon... Uh, I guess he somehow... <laughs> I, I don't know how a fire could be hard to find, but Joel must have went in the wrong direction because Ron stumbles upon this ceremony, the cult ceremony. It's around a big fire. It's like a KKK-style cult, <laughs> but they have, like, dark robes. You know what I'm saying. Yeah. You know what I'm saying. I, I do, just... actually, you know, being a member oh, God, of myself. what? Oh, that... Grand Wizard mode. can you please <laughs> let us make very clear that neither of us are a member of a racial, uh, racial, racist organization at all. I'm just pointing out the fact that the robes that these men are, uh, men or women are wearing have sort of points at the top. Yeah, uh, uh, that, that, and, that and I do have two half-black kids. <laughs> oh, that's right. I forgot about that. Well, that's just a cover, Mo. It's my beard. <laughs> <laughs> <sighs> anyway, the, these uh, the, they're, it's not enough that these cult members are wearing these big robes. They also have their face painted for some. Yeah, it's like, they have white face paint on them, yeah. black around the eyes. They look like they look like uh, low rent black metal guys. Yeah, they do. They look very black metal, or at least they would if one of them wasn't Doc White, who's like seventy. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> so, uh, Ron, who's watching this ceremony get started, he gets fucking cracked over the head with a big rock. Uh, and then we actually get to see uh, part of the ceremony. And it's just them talking about death and resurrection, and it's not interesting. Yeah. <laughs> what is great about this, I mean, we see them have all the body parts splayed out. We know what's going on here. Mm-hmm. But what's great is that like, th- it's fog everywhere, right? But on the left-hand part of the screen... You can see where the fog machine is blowing the fog in. It's, it, it, you can actually see like the nozzle go and all the fog going out of it. I totally didn't notice. <laughs> so well, you, I was just looking for something. Yeah. So Ron wakes up. So I don't know why he got clocked in the head in the first place, especially because he's already drugged. And the cult members noticed him, but they don't see him as a threat. They actually ask him to come near. And that's when he discovers that some of these cult members are pretty familiar to him. Doc. Yes, Ronnie. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Imagine how much shorter the film would be if there if there wasn't all of these like thirty second uh pauses in between lines. <laughs> I was just thinking that it's like it's like Jesus Christ, just spit it out, man. <laughs> yes, Ronnie. <laughs> Doc. And like he like whispers and, after it's like Doc Doc White. And it's not just Doc White. Worshipping the god devil Caninus. <laughs> the god devil uh, all- Don Imus. <laughs> but Dean Bailey is there as well. It's true. I don't know why that Dean has been calling him so much about this whole case if he really just wants, you know, he doesn't care. He just wants this to happen. Yep. Uh, but perhaps the most shocking of all is the reveal that Tina is part of their sacrifice. No! Tina! <laughs> Tina! She is the masters now. I was shocked. You were shocked. Actually, there is a sort of a man else to hands of fate. When he's when he's saying like (laughs) death and glorious resurrection, it did sound like something straight out of it. He flows Um, through us and penetrates us. (laughs) 
But, uh, but then Ron wakes up. It was all a glorious dream. Or was it? Joel finds him. Was it a dream? We don't know at this point. At this point, we don't know. Maybe he just fell asleep after watching his daughter be fucking part of his... I'm going to guess that it probably was a dream because it looked like they were doing the end part of their ceremony since they had all the body parts there. Yeah. But, but maybe it's a really complicated... Oh, there was two dogs there, too, by the way. Two Dobermans. <clears throat> yeah, and that's very important. That's, I had to mention it because it becomes so important. We're at the home stretch now, folks. It seems like it's yeah, I, yeah, yeah. There's only like everything from like here on out is crazy. Audio clips <laughs> left, but I mean, um, yeah, we it, it gets to the point where like like it seemed to me like they added that dog thing in there, sort of as a last. I, I hope as like a last ditch sort of thing to to try to tie the whole thing together because. Otherwise, there's really there's nothing because what ends up happening. Well, let's let's talk and then and then I'll sort of explain what I'm what I'm thinking right now. All right, because I think we both have theories around this, so I'm I'm interested in hearing our takes on it. <laughs> so, Joel finds him. He's disoriented. He was unconscious. They bring him to the hospital. Yeah. First reasonable thing that Joel did. The doctor at the hospital is probably Doc spit White. on him first. <laughs> yeah. Like, All right, let's continue to the hospital. <laughs> So they take they take him to the hospital, and Doc White is his doctor there, for some reason. Yeah, and of, and of course, so he flips out because Tina's there, and he blah, blah, blah. Tina's there, and he remembers everything, and he's still disoriented. So he he actually is trying to warn Tina because in the ceremony when Tina was ta- was part of it, it seemed like she was almost in a trance. That so, that, and she was talking about how like they have to sacrifice her, right, to, to finish this this uh, ritual. So he tries to warn her about He's Doc bad. White. He'll hurt you, Tina. He's bad. Uh, the rantings of a drugged-up old man. Yeah, no kidding. Uh, so they give him a bunch of sedatives. He's bad. And what, <laughs> there's this montage of like time passing. And if I had to guess how much time passing, it would be like, I don't know, maybe like a week as he c- kind of gets back on his feet again after a concussion. But we later find out that this is just one day. Yeah, I was going to say, it's the next day. <laughs> Yeah, so he's fine. Ridiculous. Uh, so Doc White, who, despite being kind of uh, made fun of in the opening narration, <laughs> uh, he seems very nice. He seems like he legitimately cares about Ron's well-being. He does patch him up. Uh, but, you know, the, the story is that Joel said that Ron ran into a tree branch and got a concussion because yeah. he's a super cop. <laughs> <laughs> he's super fuzz. So, uh, uh, and there's a confirmation. I don't know why this part is in there either. The doctor says that all the killings were done through multiple stabbings and loss of blood. Yeah, no shit. Yeah, exactly. Hmm. All the blood everywhere was a dead giveaway. Let's see. Hmm. Amputations, decapitations. Yeah, I I I think that it might have something to do with loss of blood. Yeah, no kidding. But, you know. We, we make fun of Ron for being a terrible police officer, but Ron Wilbois is no idiot. He decides he's going to ask Doc White about his hobby. Hey, Doc, do you like dogs? Does he like dogs? He does like dogs. Oh, my God. He raises champion Dobermans. Oh, that he is has key. two of them. Perhaps the doctor mentioned that to him at some he point does. in the past. He even hints that he had already. Yeah. Uh, but but uh, of course but he did no, the night before is, around the fire. That's right. But this is what Ron uses as proof positive that that this doc is uh, is part of this cult. Yeah. Now at this point, none of that makes sense. 
for one thing, they would they knew that he saw the 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 ritual from before. So the fact that they're all showing up and acting normal, you know, they would why would they do that? It doesn't well, make I think any they're sense. trying to make him think that what he saw wasn't like uh, either a hallucination or a bad dream or something. But what's the benefit of that? Why wouldn't they have just killed him at the thing? Or why wouldn't they, when they knocked him on the fucking head with the rock, why wouldn't they just drag him away? Because they want him to be part of it. They want him to be part of it for some weird yeah. reason. Uh, so he makes a phone call, a very secretive phone call, to Tina at the library, still. <laughs> <laughs> And uh, and says that she should come back home again. Yeah, and so she talks. I mean, I think this is the point where she talks about how, like, you know, there's there's stuff she still needs to do, blah blah blah, or whatever. And uh, and and, and he so he ends up hanging up the the call uh, with the understanding that he is going to stake out the women's dormitory. And the way he says it is both completely ridiculous and kind of funny. Tonight, women's storm. <laughs> I, I bet he said that several times in the past. Tonight. <laughs> so what am I going to do tonight? Ooh, hmm, tonight. Women's dorm. <laughs> women's dorm. But he does not get what he wanted out of st- staking out this woman's dorm. For one thing, he eats a hamburger like a disgusting old man. <laughs> but he also sees Tina and Joel together, and he realizes that Tina has been sneaking Joel into the dormitory. Dun, dun, dun. How dare his 35-year-old daughter <laughs> skulk around with this fucking dude. <laughs> Tina! Joel! In the most exciting sneaking into the dorm scene ever. Uh, and, <laughs> and But he, he decides he's just going to let it go. Joel is in there. He's asleep. And suddenly, the killer appears. It's true. Wearing a really ridiculous mask. It's like an animal. I would assume it's supposed mask. to be some kind of dog. Oh, that makes a lot of sense for the of whole caninus. caninus thing. I'm gonna call it caninus. I'm not going with that caninus stuff. I like, uh, yeah, ridiculous. Yeah, it's ridiculous, caninus. and it's a good thing that Joel is kind of a wiry, uh, weak-looking person because um, the fight is almost equal. He only slightly overpowers his attacker easily. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, but I don't know why. Why? Why would this attacker not necessarily be the physical match for Joel in this case? Hmm. I wonder. Well, I'll answer that question, Mo. <laughs> it's because it's Tina. Oh no! It's she. She was. She's there to complete the sacrifice for her lord and master. There's. Well, there's a weird thing, and this is this is what I was talking about before. Is that they talk about how they need a body part from 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 like from people who have the who have offended them. Right, you know, but they already had all the body parts. It looked like that, yeah. You know, and, and then she says, each person from the group needs to bring a sacrifice. So right. for her, That's it was right. going to be a piece of Joel, essentially. Right. So it's like, huh? Like it's like it's almost like one thing kind of almost completely contradicts the other thing. Ah, just it's irritating. So you're right. It, from what you just said, it would implicate that. All of the killings are done by a different person. Exactly. This was just her one killing. Exactly. But that would still play into the idea that what Ron had seen, the sacri- the the ritual, had actually happened. True. But there's lots to 
suggest that it didn't necessarily happen. Uh, but but there's also, also would... lots to suggest that it did. <laughs> <laughs> right. Well, this is funny because Tina, again, acts like she's in a trance, basically. Yeah. Uh, she's acting very strange. But when, uh, when Ron, action Ron, runs into the room, she takes off. Well... She kills Joel, by the she way. Does, she does kill Joel, which is the best part of the movie. Mm. Um, but now, now you make it seem like he just rushes into the room. <laughs> okay? Let's get this straight. The door is locked. Yep. <laughs> uh, it takes him several painful-looking attempts to knock that door down. <laughs> it's a shame he doesn't have a gun. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I mean, it really, I mean, it takes maybe like six or seven hits you know, bopping his shoulder into the thing, and and to finally break the door down, and it's just like, man, this guy's really fucking useless. I mean, he really does nothing of note. He certainly doesn't solve the mystery. It, it, it's basically given to him. Yeah. I guess he was at the right place at the right time at the, the dormitory, the same place where all the killings have occurred. The one smart move he makes in the entire, like the like the one smart move that he makes of his own accord. In the entire movie, is is him staking out that dormitory? Yeah, you know, and it takes place within the last five minutes of the film, and it ends up being a terrible idea for him because Tina runs off into the street. I don't know how she gets by him. It seems like it would be pretty easy, but then again, he's fucking ancient. Yeah, she gets by him though. Yeah, she does, and she runs down the street, and now she's freaking out. Like she's like wailing her arms around and shit, and she's like really ah, she's she's. I guess she's really the realization. It. Yeah, and um, and he's chasing after her, and uh, luckily, she is who she is, and he is who he is. So they move at similar speeds, <laughs> <laughs> and she starts climbing this big old flight of stairs up like a fire escape. Yeah, almost. yeah, it's a fire escape. And he's he's trying to calm her down. He's trying to let her know that that actually he's saying all sorts of nonsense. Let's hear what some of what he says. This is this is probably his best line. He, Tina, your mother wouldn't, wouldn't approve of this. And it wasn't my fault. She died. Tina! <laughs> what is the, wh- yeah, why would you think that it was his fault that she yeah, died? Yeah, because when I'm trying to convince somebody to act rationally, the best idea is to bring up to bring up her dead mother. Yeah, your dead mother wouldn't approve of this. Your mother wouldn't <laughs> approve of this. It's not my fault she died. Get off the lawn. He does say what you would expect a person who is trying to get someone to calm down in this situation to say, which is that it's not your fault, we'll, we'll work it out so you won't have to be in like huge trouble, even though she just murdered someone. Say, yeah, it's still murder. Yeah, but he also, uh, <laughs> he also, like, they end up meeting each other uh, several floors up, basically, uh, stories up uh, on, on this fire escape, uh, and, and they have a confrontation, and it's very oddly edited. It's. I don't know if I'd use the term oddly. I'd use the term poorly. Poorly, yeah, but I think poorly probably out of necessity because there's, they're not going to be, you know, they're not, they're not going to be having a lot of action between these two characters up there. That's true. But he, she, she like pushes him and he sort of like hobbles back a couple of steps. Yeah, and then and then he then he finds his way around her, and mm. she ends up stumbling. I don't know if she, if she like, and they don't show it, so you don't know if yeah, she, if, they don't show it, so we don't know if she stumbles stumbles or throws herself. Yeah, we don't know if she thro- if she if she if she jumps or if she falls. You know, but we do know what his reaction is. Yep, he he says this. 
Tala! Oh, wait, I'm sorry, that was... <laughs> that was Suburban Sasquatch. He says this. Tala! <laughs> and with that exclamation, a ridiculous dummy <laughs> is dropped yeah. from this stairwell. And I love it because it's not only is a dummy just ridiculous, its leg is like twisting around <laughs> as it falls. But it's a pretty it, satisfying it, thump onto the oh, dumpster. I, you know what? I love when people are swapped out with dummies. That's all we did it in the movie we made. Yeah. It, it, we, I just love dummies. And this dummy hits the edge of like a, a trash bin on the way down, like on the corner of it, and bounces off of it's, it. it. Like is, I said, it's a very satisfying thump. Yeah. <laughs> and then, we, then, and we're, then we're treated to this uh, to this nice sort of like panning shot up the body of, uh, of Tina lying uh, dead. <laughs> yeah, is she dead? She opens her eyes, so maybe. And then she's she kind of smiles. Now I don't know if the smiles and, is, is intentional, but then we get credits. <laughs> I'm guessing there's some sort of muscle spasm from hitting the edge of that trash bin. <laughs> <laughs> we do get to see Ron get one final cry uh, because he's really upset, as he would be. Yeah, he, uh, he under says. Yeah, here I'll, I'll, I, I have his last cry. He goes. Oh my nuts! <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. Uh, wrong movie. Here, hold on. He says this. <laughs> Sadly, he did not survive the sass attack. Believe it or not, Mo, that's the end of the movie. That's it. That's the whole thing. Now, it does theoretically all kind of move right into the sequel, which which made a couple years later, uh, called Revenge, Blood Cult 2, which we've never seen. So that might be a a far superior follow-up. It does have a lot of the same actors and made by the same people, so probably it isn't. I was going to say, it could also be a far inferior pile of crap. That seems more likely to me now that you bring it up. Uh, I have uh, the director of Blood Cult, Christopher Lewis, uh, before we talk about the closing credits. Uh, I did mention, I think, on the last film uh, that we talked about that uh, he... Uh, he also directed the Tom Savini shot on video film, The Ripper, mm. which I think you mentioned that you've seen as well. I've seen The Ripper, yeah. Yeah, it's not good. It's pretty terrible. It's about the same quality. You know what? It is about the same quality. I think maybe a little bit less. It has a lot more violence, if I remember yeah. correctly. And so we get the closing credits, which is very, it reminds you right away that this is, you know, shot on video. Yeah. <laughs> really cheapy credits. It does have one notable, um, I guess, credit, which is. David Woods as, the, as figure. the figure. I guess that that's the killer in this case was um, was when he's without the animal mask. Yeah, when he's when uh, he's not Tina, is uh, is David Woods. So good job, David. Tina. <laughs> that's pretty close. And that's Tala. It is pretty. <laughs> not bad. <laughs> not bad at all. Uh, and that's the end of the movie. That's it. That's all Blood Cult has to offer. Movie is over. You can imagine just how many people in the 80s who saw that this was available for them to purchase at a very reasonable price and were loved horror movies, you can see how uh, a lot of them would go for it. Sure. If you go on, if you go on to the No Budget Nightmares Facebook page, you can actually see an advertisement from the time period for people who were looking to purchase Blood Cult. But as we mentioned before, it wasn't the first. Sledgehammer came before it. There's a couple of other films which would be, uh, you know, would technically be classified as a straight-to-video movie, but this was the first majorly successful one. Exactly. People know it. People know this movie. This is actually one that uh, even a layperson would be able to recognize. And I remember seeing, I think, the video case on shelves when I was a, a kid in uh, in video stores. Yeah. 
still with us there, Mo. I, yeah, well, you know. I was trying to think you, if I if I remembered seeing this in video stories when I was a kid, and I don't. Do you have this on VHS? Do I, no. No? No, I don't. <laughs> what kind of drunk-on-VHS person are you, Mo? I'm the kind who has other VHS. I'm, I'm not a horror collector as <laughs> such. Perhaps more worthy films. Huh? Perhaps more worthy films. Yeah, I mean, no, trust me, I've got plenty of shit movies in my collection. I just, like, I'm not, like, you know, like, like there's there's a couple of different kind of VHS collectors out there, and there's there, there's people like me who kind of collect a little bit of everything, um, and then there's, and then there are people who are just regular, like, horror collectors, and they seem to be a lot more prevalent. Me, I, I you know, I mean, like, I like the, I like, you know, getting the, picking up the horror movies when I see them, but, I mean, I don't go out of my way you know, like I don't, I don't need to have like this huge horror collection. Blood cult, you might just get blood on you. Okay, <laughs> blood cult. <laughs> I was listening to what you were saying. Mom. Yeah, I, uh, <laughs> <laughs> you like all kinds of movies. You don't really, there's, n- you don't really put one above the other, and that's one of the nice things about no budget filmmaking. Though most of the films that we watch are genre films. They don't have to be. Yeah. There's all sorts of movies that are of all variety of genre that are made. It just happens to be, I think, that when it comes to people thinking that they can make something entertaining on a very low budget, and and want that and have that inspiration to do it, it's generally a lot of horror, times horror or yeah. horror comedy, and especially because a lot of other genres require uh, either acting talent. Or special effects, exactly, and and that's a tough thing to come yeah, by. Yeah, and uh, and Cairo syrup and and uh, and red food coloring is is, pr- is pretty easy to, to come by. <laughs> yeah, indeed. So we'll put to bed, blood cult, please. Mo, let's talk about what movie we're going to feature next on uh, Daily Grindhouse presents No Budget Nightmares. Well, we're going to go back to the box set um, mm-hmm. and pick a a little ditty uh, called "Dead Is Dead." Now, this is October, so we're, we're obviously we're going to be focusing on horror. Uh, I will mention that Dead is Dead from 1992, directed by Mike Stanley, is a film I have seen before. So, uh, Mo, if you don't enjoy this, you can blame this one firmly on the Dugster. That's me. Um, but I think... I think I blame everyone that I don't like on you anyway, even if I picked it. <laughs> What's kind of notable about this film, though not quite, is I watched it a few years ago and I wrote up a review for a blog at the time. And uh, somebody, uh, theoretically the, <laughs> the the director, actually responded to me at the time, and uh, he he responded by saying that if I was to see the director's cut, that I would eat my own words about what I had written about the film. I haven't seen the director's cut since, but I will tell you, there's no way, <laughs> there's no way that it's any good. We should get in contact with him and see if he'll send us the director's cut so we can eat our words. Me, you know what? It's been a few years. I haven't watched this movie since 2010, so I'm going to go with the idea that it's possible that there is qualities there that I missed at the time. I'm going to go in there with an open mind. Uh, it, it, I believe it was made in Michigan, which is nice, right? We all like Michigan. That's Jill in the background who does not enjoy Michigan so much. Don't talk. We're recording a podcast. <laughs> dead is dead. Yeah, she says it's fucking dumb. It is, but it's she didn't know that. She's just guessing. No, she's probably right. <laughs> All right. You 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 don't Yeah, you need to shut up. All right. Okay. Oh. Someone said that they enjoyed her interjections interjections and now she won't ever shut up. Thank you, anonymous person. Mo, have we had any feedback lately? No, not really. 
people don't give us feedback mostly because we're so available. Yeah, exactly. It's so easy to get in touch with us on Twitter or Facebook that I mean, why bother? Yeah, I mean, don't, let's not give the indication that people are, are never saying that they're listening or responding to what we're talking about. I think we get a really healthy amount of feedback. I think we it get more than immediate. healthy. I mean, I'm actually really impressed by the amount of feedback that we get. I mean, admittedly, most of them say they appreciate my contribution a little bit more than your own. Uh, <laughs> it's true. <laughs> now we have a fucking laugh track going on in the background. <laughs> uh, but, uh, but yes, no, I, we do have a healthy amount of, of response, but... Probably it makes a lot of sense that it wouldn't necessarily come in email form. But if the people did want to keep up on what we were doing and what we were talking about, how would they go about that, Mo? Um, well, I mean, if they wanted to, if they wanted to be cool and actually email us, because we always do enjoy emails, they can send that right to. Uh, they can send what? it right to uh, <laughs> no budget nightmares um, hmm? at dailygrindhouse dot com. Or they could send it to no budget nightmares DG as in Daily Grindhouse at gmail.com. Two two email addresses to choose from. I know, and nobody writes to either of them. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, if they wanted to get in touch with us on Twitter, they could send uh, they could shoot one my way at drunk on VHS. Do you like it when people shoot one your way, Mo? Especially when they aim for the face. <laughs> uh, or they could contact me on Twitter at Doug underscore Tilly. That's T I L L. E-Y. People get confused. Uh, anyway, uh, yes, please talk to us, you know, add us. Uh, oh, but besides that, there's another way for them to keep up on what we're doing, isn't there? Is there? On Facebook. That's right. Uh, Facebook.com slash No Budget Nightmares. Did you already mention that? No. No, okay, good. Because that's an extremely active Facebook page. People really seem to be responding to the things we're posting there. Yeah. And we post a lot of interesting tidbits. Sometimes our response while we're watching the films themselves. Sometimes, uh, like recently, we got we always post trailers and information about what we're going to be covering upcoming. But also, we put in interviews. Sometimes the directors themselves drop by to give us a little insight. Yeah, it's kind of it's actually kind of cool how how like we've sort of developed sort of like a little like family with the filmmakers that uh you know who who, who follow the show, <laughs> uh, like the Gorno guys or uh, or the uh, Rock and Roll Space Patrol uh, James. Uh, Baltus. We didn't mention it, Mo. What? That the director of Rock and Roll Space Patrol. Oh, that's right. Yeah, we have to talk about that. (laughs) Because that is monumental. (laughs) So, uh, those of us, uh, those of us, those of you who listened to the previous episode on the film Rock and Roll Space Patrol. Action is go! Action is go might recall that during the episode I said that I had reached out to the director uh, because I wanted to get a little insight into some of the questions that we had during the movie because so so much of it is so batshit. And he responded. And what a response. And he responded first just like with a lot of enthusiasm. Uh, and then I sent him a copy of the episode. And not only did he listen to it all, he posted it on his Facebook. And it was so excited because we are part, you see, Mo, of the 1% of people on this planet who got what he was trying to do in that movie. I don't think he, said, I don't think he quite said 1%. <laughs> I'm going to go with 1% on the planet. Uh, we are the one percenters. Yeah, we are the 1%. That's right. And then he decided, because I asked him a shitload of questions, specific questions, but he said, fuck that. I'm just going to give you a wall of text that could answer everything. Plus, he sent us copies of all the songs from the movie. And the, and and the working script, the shooting script. And the, working sc- the shooting script. Now, that blowed. That, that blowed. <laughs> <laughs> that, I, you know, I, not- like, I'm amazed, man. You studied English. <laughs> 
I'm from Newfoundland. Uh, okay, fine. Fair enough. Fair enough. Now, he gave us lots of great information, but the thing that I uh, was most curious about was if the ending, the ending of that movie, yeah. which, by the way, Mo, I was correct about, and I guess we were both sort of correct about, <laughs> they were just going to go shoot cows. It um, was cows. Yeah, it was cows. The, the script had that set out. That was the ending of the movie all along. Just amazing. They never planned on having like any sort of resolution. It was always that they were going to look ahead into the future, decide that it wasn't worthwhile, and just go shoot cows instead. Yeah. Amazing. Astounding. Amazing. <laughs> you know? So much so much I have so much respect for uh for, for Jim Baltus to uh, uh to to not only have thought of that, but then to go out and actually do it. Yeah, it's just incredible. It's so insane. I love it. Uh, we should actually, and, and maybe we'll ask Jim to uh, give us permission to post more of what he wrote to us sure, on yeah, the Facebook yeah. page, because he gave us just a ton of information. Uh, we discovered that it wasn't the Miners March. Uh, I can't remember it what it was. It was the Martyrs March. Martyrs March, but they say it kind of in a difficult to Well, I think what he said was that, uh, was that nobody, like, like different cast members didn't know quite how to pronounce it so it so it became for some people it became miners march and for some people it became martyrs march just depending on which actor was was pronouncing it for the day and he does explain the ending to us uh (laughs) extremely well and even admits that maybe it didn't come across as well as he was hoping but who cares he made an amusing fun movie and uh and what a joy to hear from him and you're right mo he is part of this sort of group of filmmakers who've been in contact with us who've really appreciated the fact that we put so much time uh into you know examining these films that don't usually get that much attention yeah i mean exactly i mean and it's kind of funny too like like who like we've kind of had sort of constant contact with like since our episodes uh i mean like uh like we're both friends with william hellfire on facebook mm-hmm. uh i'm friends with sean gallimore on facebook um uh, you know todd jason falcon cook huh todd jason falcon cook yeah, todd jason falcon cook uh you know jim baltus uh the uh the gorno, the gorno guys. guys um i mean it's it, it's kind of it's kind of awesome it really is it's it's great because some of the people who listen know that we had sort of a bad experience with one of the filmmakers that we covered. Yeah. But I think that every time we get such a positive, you know, really great experience uh, with these directors who are, are you know, they're, they're enthusiastic about the fact that we're enthusiastic about their work. Th- that really reinforces that that really was an isolated, nutty incident and uh, not reflective of the kind of uh, attitude that we take towards these movies. Exactly. I think we're pretty open-minded caring people and we don't like to see people hurt except you sometimes do but not me <laughs> i you know I, i'm willing i'm willing to admit that that sometimes if i if i dislike a movie enough i'm i'm out for blood but uh but even at that like even when i'm being like a total dick uh, you know i mean to get to get a response from uh from people you know in the positive e- even with my negativity it's still kind of, it's amazing and it just you know i mean ultimately it proves me wrong which is fine i'm cool with that you are wrong. Sometimes. You're wrongy wrong. Sometimes. Wrong. Sometimes. Occasionally, Mo is wrong. That's what we should take away from the show today. All right, so let's move on. Have you seen anything good? Oh, that's a great question, Mo. Uh, <laughs> I did just get back from Newfoundland, and it was kind of a dry spell for watching films. I got to watch uh, to rewatch The Avengers. Nice. Which, uh, which, you know what? It's great. It's a great movie. Uh, oh, my wife just reminded me that I did, since getting back, saw a double feature. Did saw. Hmm. I don't know about that. <laughs> I did see Looper. 
yeah. Ryan Johnson's Looper, and I thought it was terrific. I really did. I thought, uh, you know what? I love time travel movies. I think I may have mentioned that on the show before. You have. I, I really get a kick out of them, and I, this is a very good one, a very smart movie. It also has... It does what a lot of science fiction movies don't do these days, which is that it creates a very detailed world, mm. the kind of world that you could see other stories taking place in, uh, and it's very self-contained, which, considering how many movies these days are built specifically for sequels, yeah, yeah. Uh, it was kind of refreshing. Nice. And I also saw Paul Thomas Anderson's The Master. Yeah, how was that? It is very, very different from Looper. <laughs> 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 I'll tell you who didn't enjoy it, my wife. Uh, I. It is... It's beautiful to look at, and it's so technically uh, skilled, the making of it is, that, uh, that you, you can just enjoy it on that level. And, of course, the soundtrack is amazing, mm. and the performances are absolutely incredible. I think that it's a little – and it's taken me a few days to really digest it. it is a, it's a, with everything you just said about that movie, but I still fucking hated it. All right. <sighs> this should not be a regular part of this show. <laughs> Everyone loves me out there. <laughs> We, there's a very vocal minority. <laughs> I think it's one okay. person. <laughs> <laughs> Three, two, one. So I saw The Master recently. <laughs> uh, it's taken me a few days to, to digest it because it's a very dense film. Mm-hmm. I think that there are parts of it which are very meandering uh, to the point where you wait for certain combinations of people to meet up again because those scenes, are they, they pop so much. Sure. Uh, and, and some of the scenes, particularly... Because it is so lengthy, uh, I do feel that sometimes it it brings the pace down to a point where you're it's hard to enjoy it mm. on the level that it wants to be enjoyed at. And it's it there's a part of me, and this is going to sound really selfish. There's a part of me that's almost a little concerned about the movie because, in some ways, it's so uh, it's so out there in a lot of ways. It, it, not just because not just because of the, the how the filmmaking is, but just how it's structured, that it makes me worry that we're never going to see a more traditional style narrative from Paul Thomas Anderson mm. again. And and speaking as someone who really loves Boogie Nights and obviously loves There Will Be Blood, uh and and, and I love Magnolia too. Uh, even though those have kind of funny ways of telling their story uh, and intricate ways of doing that, they're still, at their heart, they're a very traditional story being told. Uh, but h- here, he's he's in a different universe entirely. And, again, it's a selfish thing to say, but I worry that he's going to leave people like me who really loved his, uh, his more narratively uh, cohesive films uh, behind. Hmm. Uh, but it's still, everyone should see it, because it's amazing. Well, I'll ch- I'll check it out at some point. I'll, both of those, I, really. I don't, I, don't, I, I doubt I'll see either in the theater, but uh, uh, but I will. I do want to watch them both at some point. I had a couple absolutely. of interesting movies, like what uh, the last couple of days. Well, I don't know if people like anybody who follows me on on any of my regular you know social media whatnot uh, knows that I've recently recorded a uh, uh, a short. Um, like film review clip for uh, after movie diner uh, as a as a horror host character of my creation named Uncle Mo, and I, I'm dying. It's it that one's going to come out on Monday, so my guess is that this will be up pretty much just before that episode of 
uh, of After Movie Niner comes out. So in in honor of that, and of course, you know, mining for more ideas, I watched American Scary, the documentary about like regional horror host, which was really I love I really liked that. Yeah. Really great, really really a lot of fun to watch. Um, did did it's comprehensive, very comprehensive, and actually yeah. did give me a ton of ideas mm-hmm. um, for for stuff that I can do. Uh, I mean my. My my character is very different from the the traditional sort of horror host. I'm a little more manic, but uh, um, you know, but it's but it's still it's still a lot of fun. So I, I'm I'm interested to see how I can kind of put some of that stuff in uh, into perspective. Um, we were talking before during uh during our conversation about um this movie that we just watched, yeah, Blood Cult. That's it. <laughs> uh, <laughs> no, actually, sorry, just to stop you for a second, it's interesting the connection between. Paul Thomas Anderson and horror hosts as well, right? Because his father was Gugliardi. Oh yeah, that's right. <laughs> I totally forgot about that. <laughs> um, but yeah, we were talking about how how there's the, the the scene opens with that shower scene. So I watched a movie uh, called The Poughkeepsie Tapes. Oh right, of course. Not too long ago, and there is a amazing shower scene in in that. I mean, nothing sexual or anything like that, but it's but but the Poughkeepsie Tapes. I mean, if anybody who doesn't know it, it's sort of, I don't want to call it a found footage film, but it sort of is, sort of isn't. It's really more of like a documentary, like, or like a mockumentary, really, um, where they kind of talk about these tapes that they found and they'll show clips from the tapes to sort of accentuate what they're talking about at the, at the moment. And it's incredibly creepy and a really, really well done film. Now, Mo, you, you might have to correct me on this, but when I hear about the Poughkeepsie tapes... I think back to the response, and I'm, am I wrong about this? They showed it, they premiered it, I think it was one of the first showings, at the Buttonumathon a few years ago, and the reaction was very negative, is that correct? I don't know. That, that's, when I think about that movie, and I hopefully I'm not mixing it up with something else, uh, but that is what I think about it, but mm. I, it, was, it, it was a while before it got released, is that correct? Yeah, I'm not even really certain if it's even still had a, a real release, like I, I found it on YouTube. Okay, I just confirmed, by the way, yeah, that the audience was very hostile to that film when it was released. That's really weird. I, I don't get that at all. I mean, I loved it. I thought it was really well made. Um, it's super creepy. Uh, you know, there's a lot of really, I mean, a lot of, like, disturbing sort of, uh, of shit goes down in the film. Um, you know, I mean, it could have it could have gone way over the edge if it wanted to and could have been, like, in league with, like, uh, any of the Human Centipede films or, or a Serbian film if it wanted to. It could have very sure. easily have done that. Uh, but it didn't, and I think I think the way it went was uh, was ultimately the better choice. But there is a uh, uh, incredibly creepy um, shower scene where he's... Like, because, you know, they're showing the film and he's obviously videotaping everything. He comes into into the bathroom and he's standing outside the shower and she can tell that there's somebody there she thinks it's her boyfriend so she keeps talking she keeps talking to him you know he's not responding and ultimately he ends up leaving the room before she has a chance to check to see who's there right and then he ends up stashing the camera and he goes and he hides in her closet and so you see all this stuff happening between the two of them and you know that he's like literally right behind them in the closet and like mm. you're like, is something gonna fucking happen? And and ultimately, I'm not gonna say what happens, but uh, but the whole thing is just super creepy. Really well done. I enjoyed it a lot. Well, I'm sold. I mean, I'm gonna check it yeah, out. Yeah, definitely. Sure. I, I, the director later went on to uh, make uh, Quarantine, the the American remake of of Wreck, um, mm. and and Devil, the M Night Shyamalan uh, written film. I haven't seen either of those. 
Uh, I've seen Quarantine. It's it's. I've seen Wreck. It's yeah. It Wreck is superior yeah. in every way. <laughs> Um, but, but that's interesting. I'm going to definitely check it out. Yeah, and I did. I did watch a couple of really shitty movies too. Uh, just, just like within the last like two days, um, or stuff that I wasn't really very. Because into. you're going through like a horror. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I'm doing yeah, a project yeah. where I'm doing. I'm trying to watch. Well, not trying to. I'm you know successfully watching uh, sixty films, sixty horror movies that I've never seen in in the course of you know the thirty days in in October. And I know there's thirty one. <laughs> um, I have I have something special planned for the thirty first, but um, you know, but so so my my choices for the last couple of days have been a little iffy. Like uh, like last night I watched Wolf Creek, which I was thoroughly unimpressed with. Um, it tends to get a lot of uh, a lot of buzz, but I just did I didn't get it. I was I just I did not care for it. Yeah, no, I I, you know, I haven't seen it. Yeah. It's funny because in uh, Not Quite Hollywood, they make sort of a big deal of it at, at the end as sort of this return to Australian horror mm. and exploitation, mm. but uh, I don't know. No, I'd, I, I did I'll, read... I'd rather watch Razorback any day. Yeah, no kidding. Yeah. <laughs> um, and, then, and then today I watched this movie called Aberration, which is on Netflix streaming if anybody wants to suffer through it. Um, it's a very middle-of-the-road, very dull uh, but practical effects, you know, which is weird for the time it was shot. It's like a, it's like a mid to late nineties, um, like horror film. And it's, and yeah, it's, it's, I think there's one CG shot in the entire, in the entire film and it's actually done pretty tastefully. Uh, so I mean, like I like the effects, but the film itself was just dull as shit. Is anyone, anyone of note, uh, star? In this? No, no. I've never heard of it, yeah. but I guess I guess with your middling uh, recommendation, it's not something I need to check out nah, anytime soon. I don't. I don't think so. Yeah. There are so many movies called Apparition. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, Aberration. Oh, Aberration. Yeah. Well, that's that's a horse of a different color. But I mean, but I started. I started my. Uh, I started my my uh, a month off in style, though. I mean, I watched. I watched uh, Inside, which I had never seen before, which is amazing. Mm-hmm. L'interior. Yeah. Absolutely amazing. <laughs> I thoroughly suggest it to anybody who's into that sort of extreme kind of horror. Um, and I watched that movie Frontiers, which I actually should have watched first. Th- that's a really interesting double feature. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But yeah, I definitely should have watched Frontiers first because I definitely enjoyed Inside more. Hmm. But both are good. Both totally yeah. worth watching. Yeah, I've seen both. Oh, and I saw Pontypool. Oh, had you never seen I'd never before? saw Pontypool before. Uh, really enjoyed it. Uh, very interesting I- take on... On the whole idea of like zombies or or infected, whatever you want to call it, the, the concept is one of those things that I think people either they buy into that they like really grasp onto it or they reject entirely. I loved it. I loved I it. Really I thought it was great. I thought it was movie. really good. Yeah, I, I had a real, I had a kind of an argument with somebody on uh, Facebook or Twitter um, uh, about it. They were saying like you know how they thought it was really sort of mediocre and not very good and, and really slow. And I'm like, yeah, it is slow. It's very deliberately paced, but it's not a bad movie. It's really well made. Um, I mean, the, it's Canadian. It is Canadian. <laughs> I, I, so I wanted Stephen to ask. McCaddy I wanted to ask you because they mentioned in the closing credits they actually mentioned Peterborough. Yeah, that's right, because <laughs> Pontypool is is very close to where I live yeah. in Ontario. Uh, uh, which I guess maybe it probably does add a little bit more of a oomph to the whole proceedings. I should also mention that it's directed by Bruce McDonald, who's one of my favorite filmmakers of any kind, mm. not just Canadian, but he also directed the uh, punk classic Hardcore Logo. It's a good movie. <laughs> Such enthusiasm! No, he's he's great, and uh, you should definitely check out his filmography. Highway sixty one is an amazing movie. Uh, it, that's the thing about Canadian filmmakers. There's a lot of great ones that a lot of people <laughs> never hear of. Yeah. 
Yeah, but I mean, I, I yeah, I, I mean, I was gonna say the only th- the only things the only things I think I've seen of him is his are Pontypool and, and Hardcore Logo, right? But still, I'll look into it. Ch- 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 check it out. <laughs> and lastly, I saw Bong of the <laughs> Dead, which was which, oh, yeah? which was both kind of mediocre and a little surprising. Like, um, like there was a lot of real opportunity with it, uh, a lot of potential. Like it could it could have been a really funny kind of absurd zombie horror comedy thing uh they 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 kind of fucked it up a little bit um you know in the in the whole fact that there's no nudity in it whatsoever and like the movie like that you kind of need you know you kind of need nudity to sell it and uh, and they and they kind of failed on that point but there's i mean there's a lot of uh, surprisingly not a lot of pot humor which you'd think there'd be a lot more of and there's no bongs in the movie at all uh, which which was really really odd, uh, but uh, but I think ultimately the the gore effects were were incredible and really well done. I thought the makeup was really good. So uh, and 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 overall not not a bad movie. I, I would I would recommend it to people who like mild recommendation. A mild for recommendation for people who like <laughs> zombie films. That's excellent, Mo. It sounds like you've seen a real mix of things lately. Yeah, I've been all, I've been kind of all over the place. You know, I mean every everything. I mean I've been trying. I, I actually didn't want to go the the way of like uh, of like horror comedies right um because i've seen so many of those and i'd ra- I, like in, like the idea was i wanted to try to watch some some movies that would genuinely scare me it hasn't happened yet with the exception came really close of the poughkeepsie tapes really right. close i mean it totally creeped me out nothing really particularly scared me i had no problem going to bed that night you know but um but all in all, you know, all in all was uh, was a, was a I mean really good film, and uh, and hopefully one of these movies by the end of this whole by the end of this month will have actually scared the crap out of me. Let's hope. I hope you get the crap smeared all over your walls that you get so frightened. <laughs> well, you know, you know how you know what it's like, man. You know, like like, like when you're a whole, when you're an old timey kind of fucking horror fan. You know, it, you get to the point where you're so jaded by by horror films, and you know, you've seen everything so many times that it that it takes something monumental to genuinely scare you. And it's true. And, and we, we're so familiar with the conventions. Yeah. Uh, and also, a lot of the people who are making these horror films have been influenced by the same things that we enjoy. So it. You, you're start. It start. There's a, a sense of of uh, recollection from everything that you see. Anyway, and there's always sort of a repeated theme. Exactly. So you're right. It's it's rare. And if it doesn't come from true fear, it comes from some sort of shock tactic these days. And yeah, uh, jump cuts don't work on. Uh, jump scares don't work on me anymore. And but of course, the movies that do, they manage to get to that point. Yeah. I mean, you love those because. You, yeah, I mean, I guess that's why. Oh, when a, a jump scare of- works on me, man, I'm in love. I love. I mean, I really enjoy jump scares. Um, it just takes a lot for them to actually work. I mean, I think a lot of the nostalgia of of genre fans and horror fans in particular comes from memories of the times when these things did scare exactly. you, and and the, the times when you had those experiences with movies that you can't re- repeat anymore. And uh, you're right. We're, maybe we're a little cynical and we're a little jaded about things, but it's still possible. Mm-hmm. I still hold out hope. Blood Cult did not do the job. No. Unfortunately. Sadly. Mo, before we finish up today, anything to promote? I do, actually. I got a lot of shit to promote. Your own podcast, perhaps. Um, yeah, several. Uh, I mean, obviously, there's mine, Drunk on VHS, every... Uh, every Wednesday on couchcutter.com. Check it out every week. It's it's great. Uh, and then I had three guest spots in the last week, um, surprisingly enough. One of them was completely unplanned, uh, which is always the best, I suppose. Uh, I'm sitting at my... Uh, I, I, uh, the 
Doctor Doctor Action and the Kick Ass Kid. You know they do commentaries on movies. Still with me? Yeah, no, I can hear you, but it's it's cutting in and out. But just keep going. Oh, okay. Uh, well, Doctor Action and the Kick Kick Ass Kid. They do movie commentaries and uh, for action films, and so they just and and I'm very vocal in my dislike of the film Street Night. And uh, <laughs> of all movies, and so and so they did Street Night the other week uh, or last week, and called me while they were in the middle of, of watching it, <laughs> and they're like, "Let's get Mo on." So so if you want, I mean, I show up about the about the hour seventeen minute mark, um, not in the film, but you know, there's still about forty minutes left in the film because John talks way too much. <laughs> uh, but it, it, I listen to it; it is pretty, it is pretty entertaining. Uh, at least I think so. I've listened to some of those commentaries and they're terrific. Yeah, I mean it's just just so much fun. A lot of uh, I mean a lot of action movies that people are pretty aware of, but others that are probably don't get as much att- attention. Well, that's because and, Paul is an action movie junkie. Yeah, no kidding. Yeah. And it, you know, for me, since it's a genre I, I I love, but it's not one I feel like I I have that kind of deep knowledge of. Uh, it's it it it's not just fun, but it's also semi-educational. Yeah, for me, yeah, I think action action like especially like the straight to video shit is probably my my second most known uh, genre outside <laughs> of like horror. So I mean, so I know I know I know a lot about the movies that they generally cover. I've seen most of the ones they've done already. It's pretty. Uh, they, they 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 do some pretty great great movies. Um, yeah, so I did that, uh, my, my episode of, uh, of the Mike and Ike acid jam went up this last week. Um, it's, it's terrific. Thank you. Thank you. I, I had, <laughs> I had so much fun with, uh, recording with Ike, uh, you know, like, man, he, he tends to go all over the place as it is. And like, we go off on maybe 700 tangents. I get to do a, uh. Uh, an Ultimate Warrior impression, which I'm pretty pretty happy with. We we get to see what happens when Mo doesn't have a guiding hand. Oh <laughs> well, yeah, it's exactly it's, it's kind of exactly the same thing that happened to you when you were on there. It's like, no kidding. You know, you just you just get to see what happens when everything kind of goes nuts. You know, uh, but it's not. I mean, it's it really is. It's so much fun. Uh, and and you know, I, I think your personalities and his they match up really well. I think so. Yeah. Uh, and and it, it's it's strangely comfortable when talking to him. <laughs> yeah, even when he's talking about shit like you have no idea. Like at the beginning when he's talking about those the comic books, like I really had no idea what he was talking mm-hmm. about. And go uh, with the flow. You know, and then and so I just kinda went with it, you know, it turned into something kind of funny. Um so I did that, uh that you can I, I don't I, you know, to be honest with you, like go and in, go into my go into the drunk on VHS Facebook page and scroll back a little bit. You'll be able to find it in there. Um, he like they're on like Geek Planet Online or something like that. And then lastly, I'm trying to remember. Oh, lastly, I was on an episode of uh, Bloodbaths and Boomsticks, uh, replacing Corey for the week, and I got to talk about um, my favorite Burt Reynolds film, Malone, <laughs> uh, and. Uh, and and you're gonna love this. I don't know if you listened to that episode or not, but um, every every week they induct new people into their hall of fame, and they asked me to to induct somebody, so I put in Barry Gillis of oh of nice. things. Because <laughs> I, I was gonna do Burt, Burt Reynolds, but I saw that he was already in there. I'm like, all right, so I'll, I'll not do Burt Reynolds, but uh, I'm like, I need something that that'll fit my style that people will get. Well, it obviously came from me, so I'm like Barry Gillis, Canadian content. How nice, yeah. 
Very cool. <laughs> so, uh, I just uh, just wanted to quickly say before we finish up, I uh, I did write up a few of my uh, thoughts on some films from the Inter- Toronto International Film Festival. Those are up over at dailygrindhouse.com. Awesome. I just recently did a uh, interview with uh, Jason Paul Collum, who's the director of Screaming in High Heels, the uh, documentary about '80s scream queens. Great documentary. Uh, and uh, did I did, what? Did I not say documentary? No, no, I, no. You said documentary. I just said it's a great documentary. Oh, sorry. It it is. It's a it's a strong documentary. Lots of great film clips, including Robot Ninja yeah. in there. <laughs> and uh, and I also uh, reviewed that film over at Daily Grindhouse. Still catching up on a lot of things because I just got back from vacation a few days ago. Your episode, but, uh, your episode of Evil, uh, uh, your uh, yeah, your episode of Evil episodes went up. That's right, the evil episodes uh, episode I did, which uh, focused on the two uh, 1989 uh, killed by electricity comeback killers, <laughs> Wes Craven's Shocker and the Brian James starring uh, the horror show. Uh, I'm not going to give anything away, but Shocker is a much better movie. <laughs> <laughs> but that's a, that was a lot of fun, uh, and and actually I'm planning on recording. A podcast in the very near future uh, about with Mike Merriman from Evil Episodes, all about the four Rambo films. Wild. Yes, I know. I, you know what? I actually, I think it's going to be really interesting because those films are very representative. All four of them are of the time that they were made. That's, and I think you know what? You, it, that is very true. Let's <laughs> okay, just let's just we... end this thing so we can be done. Yeah. No kidding. All right. Well, Mo. We're done. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Thanks, everybody, for listening. Peace. Tala! The podcast you're currently listening to is part of the Second Unit Podcast Network. Find all of our shows at 2upn.blogspot.com or on our Facebook under the Second Unit Podcast Network. Our fantastic list of shows include... Drunk on VHS. We came from the basement. The After Movie Diner. Something Weird This Way Comes. With Rue and Mo. No Budget Nightmares. And Doctor Action and the Kick-Ass Kid Commentaries. The Second Unit Podcast Network. Bringing you the action, leaving the boring stuff to the other guys. Oh my god, there's been a moon diamond Phillips pile up on the highway!